five times World Wrestling Federation champion. This belt is just a toy. It's like a trinket on a Christmas tree, like an ornament. The belt that I want is the one that the great Muta has, the IWGP belt. Because when Hulk Hogan wins the IWGP championship, which he should have right now, it will prove that New Japan Pro Wrestling and Hulk Hogan is the greatest, the greatest partners in the world because I want all the great wrestlers to come to me and I want them to come to Japan where I can wrestle and not bullshit. I want to wrestle and prove that I'm the best. Hello everyone and welcome to Scott and Paul's Roundland Podcast. Hello. Scott McLeod here, joined as always by my good friend and co-host Paul Byrne. Who is drinking the soft drinks today. Yes. A very caffeinated Paul Brown, I should say. Yes, very caffeinated, mm-hmm. but non-alcoholic. Then isn't that... I... Is that fucking with your brain, Scott? Well, no, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you know, I think you'll you'll still be the same Paul that people come to know and maybe love. <laughs> maybe. 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 And I love them, too. <laughs> but either way, we are back. I, I genuinely do, you know. I love our listeners. They're great people. And they are. But we're back for another episode of From the Vault. It's been a while. I think the last one was WrestleMania 12. Yes, it was. I mean, we've done a number of like classic pay-per-view reviews, but only, it's only the third one under the official new name of it called From the Vault. First we did SummerSlam 92, then Mania 12, and now we're here for King of the Ring 93. And we're the three that under the, the uh, From the Vault banner all kind of do center around you know Brett in a certain way. And Brett being... Brett putting on phenomenal performances as he was one to do. Yeah, he was. He was. You, you see that sticks in my throat a little. It's, it's going to be a weird show for Paul because he's going to have to probably put quite a bit of praise towards Brett as a wrestler, not as a person, but as a wrestler, it can't be denied, especially I, on this show. As a as a review as a podcaster who talks about wrestling mm-hmm. and Fraser, uh-huh. I can put my disgust. Towards the man's side. Mm-hmm. And I can quite easily say that he was one of the best, if not one of, if not the best technical wrestler of the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bar none. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have to appreciate him uh, as a like performer. Like, the idea of separating the performer from the person, I mean, we, 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 we've we mentioned that when we talked about how well he helped Davy Boy in their matches. Oh, yeah. The, the way that he and Sean both carried their weight in the Iron Man match and everything, you know, it takes two tangles, as they say. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, it was, it was, it may have been a little bit of a butthurt little girl about things, but <laughs> you know what, it was a, it was nothing if not a fucking mm-hmm. pro, man. The guy was a pro. I, and I always thought, mm-hmm. one of the positive things I can say about him, mm-hmm. I always thought he was a fantastic seller. Yes. You know, there was a few things that, you know, like, uh, like in the sense of taking some an opponent's mm. offense. Yeah. One of the things that always made me feel for Brett was that sort of sharp, quick throw into the turnbuckle he oh, used to yeah. get all the time, and he'd take it on the sternum, mm-hmm. and you'd see him he bounce, and you'd think, oh. Mm-hmm. Or the few times when he'd miss that, and he'd go ribs first into the lower half yeah. of the, tur- the fucking post. Mm-hmm. You know, the man knew how to make it. You know, look. Severe, yeah, you know, and like I, w- I always admire yeah, that that way he sells that that turnbuckle one where he goes yeah, yeah, for, yeah. and I'm amazed that you know how Kofi's chest 
of Kingston's chest is kind of weird looking because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially I can see it because again it's kind of almost I know it's still because he had a pectoral injury that never properly healed I'm surprised that Brett over the years his chest didn't end up looking like that with the amount of times he was able to take that, that spot and how, well, and how he probably made it look more vicious than it was because the way the speed that he gathers as he hits it makes it seem like the ring's fucking rattled as soon as he makes contact with yeah it. well in fairness mm-hmm. to Kofi mm-hmm. Great professional, also. Yeah. And this sticks in my throat a little bit, <laughs> but he was not on Brett's level. I, I don't think too many people would feel would uh, would disagree with that. I mean, Brett is considered one of the greatest of all yeah. time by a lot of people. He was he none of none of the wrestlers from the modern era mm. are on Brett's level. When Brett was at his at his peak. Mm-hmm. Despite being a dickhead, he was <laughs> fucking, he was bar none, you know, mm-hmm. fucking one of the best wrestlers in the business. Yeah, I agree. Because he, he, he could sell well, he was technically awesome. Mm-hmm. He, you were always invested in a Bret Hart match. When, like, we're tempted to go back to watch old shows that Bret was a part of, mainly for shows like that we do and for shows that I follow, like OSW, that cover a lot of different periods in Brett's career yeah well because of the years they talk about like which is primarily 90s and 80s and stuff yeah so I think through that I've grown more of an appreciation for Brett in recent years as a wrestler and even though I, he's still not I still don't rate him as a I've still, he's still not one of my favorites all the time I can recognize that he is a great wrestler oh yeah because for years I just and I felt this without watching too many of his matches did think of Brett as a bit over, overrated uh and also some of the things he said in like interviews sometimes that did maybe not like him as a person but like, I have to admit especially with the, the show we're going to talk about here you can't deny a man's ability oh no no for as much as like Brett may have had a I mean let's let's be perfectly honest though let's not fucking say all wrestlers from the 90s were fucking saints mm-hmm. there was a lot of wrestlers that got a taste of the upper card and were a bit you know cocky about it Mm-hmm. Sean was a cocky prick. Brett was a bit of a cocky prick. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Hogan was a cocky prick. I mean, Sean and Brett had a bit more reason to be cocky pricks than Hogan did. Let's, let's be perfectly well, let's, honest about let's that. Let's be perfectly honest. But, you know, we know Hogan didn't want to give anyone else a spot. Mm-mm. Sean didn't want to give anyone else a spot. And Brett, even though he tried to tie it up and, oh, well... We need to be as professional or as good as me. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to give anyone else the spot. They were all cocky and very protective of their position. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that's our way of trying to get out what our position on Brett. Because we have we have made jokes at his expense quite a lot more you than me. But and, and you laughed at them. I know because <laughs> more if not they were funny. But I think it's like worth talking about, especially. For when we then later on, so we're not seen as hypocrites when we talk about him in positive lights later on. Oh, hell no. And uh, something that I should have mentioned, even though we're six minutes into the show, <laughs> I should have already brought up about this episode that is what's special about this episode is that for the first time, maybe you've heard you've crossed over once or twice to listen to this when I've mentioned Scott and Paul's round podcast when I'm doing stuff for Wigger Pines, but as of now, as of this week, uh, we are officially under. Technically under the Rogue Opinions banner, as in we will still have our own podcast feed that you can follow and we'll plug at the end of the show. Have we been bought out? We have not been bought out. <laughs> we, are, we are just technically under the banner and that we'll be shared on their feed, on their social media, but also maintain our own thing. We are 
what are we? We're NXT before recent events to their WWE, even though that's technically an insult to them because I don't want to compare them to the main roster, but you're NXT almost. I don't know. Is that, the good, is that a good way to talk about it? As long as we're not WCW before no. the buyout. I mean, I'm going to talk about a little bit later on, briefly, uh, how, like, I think because we talked a bit before about how Vince started developing relationship with Simone territories like Smoky Mountain and USWA at the time. Yeah. Maybe we can see where the USWA or Smoky Mountain to their WWF. I don't know. Is that is that a better comparison to make? We're we're just detached now. We're good. Yeah, we're we're basically we are going to be shared on the Rogue Mains feed. You'll be seeing when you go through to take out whatever Rogue Pains podcast you want us to. You will be now from now on from starting from this episode onwards. You'll be seeing episodes uh, of ours. If you're scrolling through the Rogue Pains feed and you've seen this and you want to hear more of us, you won't find any of the episodes from before this on the Rogue Pains feed. You need to then go on to the same Android, whatever podcast that you're using for that. <laughs> Type in Scott and Paul's Rambling podcast, you will find us and you'll see more of it, we're all, what we're all about. But hopefully, if you're a fan of the stuff I do at Rogue Pains and you're hearing us on this feed, hopefully you've already crossed over and checked us out at one point. Hopefully, hopefully. But if this is your first time, then welcome and I do think this is a good show to kind of find out what we're all about in our sense of sometimes we can make good points and then immediately go wildly off, off the other direction. Yeah, like, that, is, that is a very famous habit of both of ours. I mean, it can be shown the fact that we were meant to make a very important point about this episode, the fact that we're on Rogue Pains and we forgot to do that for five minutes. Yeah, we did. We we do do that a lot. But we, we, we started this show as a rambling... Mm-hmm cacophony of wrestling and Fraser-like knowledge and mm-hmm. long may it continue so, but Paul for the people who are listening on the Rogue Pains feed obviously if you're listening on the Scott and Paul the Rowling podcast feed and you have been for a while then you know what to expect probably from hell this. yes hell yes yeah. but Paul what is there something that people who are fans of Rogue Pains who have now discovered us now that are on the feed uh, that they don't know if they don't know you is there one thing that you think they should know about you before we get started oh I don't believe so. I'm, I may be a little bit more colourful mm-hmm. than what we're used to. Yeah, you know, but I'll I'll, I'll maintain my colourful nature as <laughs> I see fit. You know. Yeah. But- and hopefully, if you enjoy Scott on mm-hmm. the Rogue Opinions podcast, hopefully, I can bring you the same kind of joy that Scott does. Thank you. Thank you very I, much. I I very much hope to hope to continue to fly the banner like he does. You know. Yeah. Basically, we can say that Paul does not beat around the bush when he when he has an opinion about I, something. I, he I do not. I I I have I have well I do have no real hatred in my soul, mm-hmm. but I I definitely do not shy away from an opinion. Yeah, definitely See, do not. I feel if if you have an opinion to make, you make it, and you don't sugarcoat it. Then that makes I think all more friend that we are now under the banner also of rogue opinions. Because now Paul has has had his fair share of very rogue, what people may consider rogue opinions. Yeah, yeah. And, and he is now willing to share them now with you. So this is basically we. No, I thought the perfect example. What we are, we are Wayne's World, and rogue opinions is Noah's arcade. Remember? That's a bad analogy, uh, man. Uh, Noah's uh, arcade sucks. Uh, yeah, no, but like I'm talking about how Wayne's World changed when they were like in the studio, and like and we were like we're sitting here on the rogue opinions feed doing like thing like guys don't nod. I don't count along with the countdown. So is it, is it going to be like, are we going to be like, so we're Scott and Paul's rambling podcast. And I'll be like, I guess. Or <laughs> maybe you want to go to Delaware. Hi. We're I'm in Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> I thought it was a decent thing, but I'm we're, trying to make. We're now on Rogue Opinions. Hi. We're on Rogue Opinions. 
I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, hopefully the Rogue Opinions listeners will have just as much joy listening to us <laughs> as they do the the main yeah. the main thing, as yeah. it were. You know. I, I I totally care. But Enough of, enough of all that. Enough, Eno- of- enough of my awkward introduction to myself. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Start as you mean to go on, eh? I, I, will, I will let Scott continue with the introduction whilst I roll a cigarette. You do that. He does that from time to time during I, the show. I, he keeps him going. You say from time to time. It's kind of a constant with me. He, he needs to. You know, it helps him keep it keeps Paul focused on the show. Yeah, I smoke. I opinionate. Yeah. <laughs> that's very much it. I spend a lot of the time calling many people assheads whilst rolling cigarettes and smoking and <laughs> spitting out my scorn. But not you people. You're not assheads. <laughs> no. Are all the listeners, whether well, your Rogue Opinions listeners or your faithful Scott and Paul listeners, mm-hmm. you people roll, man. Yeah. Because you're listening to us, yeah. and that's okay. Party on, Scott. <laughs> Party on, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that took me, there was too much of a pause there. I apologise. Five, four. <laughs> you didn't say two and one. <laughs> now, we, now we need. Now we need to do Wayne's World at some point in the future, don't oh, we? Oh, we still do. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you've listened on Rogue Pines to my uh, times when we cover bears on PVC, especially on the Rogue Rich Smack interview, you know I like to take notes. But if you also listen on Scott Mulvall and podcast, you also know. I like to have notes. So He likes his notes. So I do have quite a few notes for King of the Rain 93. And so both of you, you all, all of you listening will know that I have some notes to give. And if you don't mind, Scott, Paul, Scott do you have notes? I do. Wow. I know, right? <laughs> who, would have, who has seen that coming? So while Paul, Get out. So while Paul <laughs> rolls his cigarette, I'll give you some background. Uh, I thought we're done with the admin about what podcasting platform we're on now. <laughs> Let's get into the actual show. King of the Rain, 1993, June 13th, 1993, from the Nutter Centre in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> Nutter Centre. Yeah, that's, that's, that's why it's spelled. Uh, although they don't call it Dayton, Ohio that much during the show. They keep repeating the phrase, the heartland of America. Hi, <laughs> we're in Dayton. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's why they didn't want to... Like do that because like ah oh, Dean doesn't really have the most the best ring to it. Given that the last pay per view they were in Caesar's Palace, yeah. Las Vegas, Nevada. Hi, we're having the title match in Dayton. <laughs> so yeah, and also like you mentioned, all Hulk Hogan's defending the title against Yokozuna. He wanted to defend it in the heartland of America, USA, USA, all that crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not calling the US crap. I'm sorry for any Americans listening. I'm just saying the overly. USA, so especially from a non-American you, you, watching this pay-per-view, the Hulk Hogan, especially in 93, is getting a bit sickening. You mean that typical thing that a lot of countries do, our country does it, you know, Scotland yeah. or, and yeah. the English do it annoyingly, and the Americans do it uh-huh. annoyingly, just like we do. It's uh-huh. all a lot of pomp and carry on. I, I I am not I'm not the most patriotic person unless I may be drunk or it's, it's me. Like, yeah, when, like when Drew won the Rumble. Oh, yeah, I fucking marked out when that happened. But then again, I marked out when Roddy Piper won the Intercontinental title as well. So And he wasn't even fucking Scottish. No, he was Canadian. <laughs> anyway. so the way I said that there? Canadian. Canadian. I liked uh, so Can, Cannot Scottish. So, obviously, Dayton, Ohio, and the Nutter Centre in front of 6,500 people 
in a venue that holds somewhere between nine and eleven thousand people, but it varies depending on the type of events that the the venue holds, like concerts or sporting events. It can vary given the size. Yeah, and it's not as if they had to make much move many seats for like sets because they've got a, a, a giant screen, and yeah. that's about it. And giant, I think, is actually generous, but you know they've got a screen. Uh, so yeah, and then so this would apparently be the lowest attended King of the Ring pay per view that they would ever do. Well, and it's the first one. I was about to say, in fairness, it's the first proper like pay per view televised King of the Ring. Mm-hmm. All wrestling companies, regardless of who they were at the time, mm-hmm. trying out a new pay per view. Look, you expect the attendance not to be phenomenal. Yeah. Although the buy rate would be the highest of any King of the Ring pay per view until 1999. Really? Where, yeah, the buy rate for this one was 245,000 pay per view buys, which, well, not. Entirely that much higher than the hundred eighty thousand we saw when the last time we did a wrestling baby, which was in your house uh, two. No, no, in your house eight. <laughs> Beware of dog. I say two because they did it. Had to do it twice because of that. Yeah, like over two nights, but so greatly had to record it twice. Well, well, when you think about it, not that much higher. Like uh, it's still though. It's going to be considered one of the big, you know, the big five basically before the and yeah. in your house is a baby. So technically, especially for the first one, I said the first time they'd. First time since this Tuesday in Texas that they've done a non, you know, big four pay per view. Yeah, it's, I think it's a decent one. And, and given, let's be perfectly honest, King of the Ring to a point did grow into a pretty stable pay per view. In nineteen ninety nine, uh, I can see that's what I see why that was the uh, the one the next highest one because you know ninety nine properly was like a year where they could throw anything at you and people still bought it. You know, people they still threw people still paid their money even after they did after a whole shit like, you know, it's me, Austin and all that crap. Who won ninety nine? Billy Gunn. Oh yeah. The greatest king of the ring of yeah, all we time. Tried, we tried to make him a single star. Yeah. That and, worked out well, didn't it? You know. Uh I know JR perfectly summed up, We got a new King of the Ring and it's Billy Gunn <laughs> In that exact tone of voice. When you think of you think Hi, of, it's Billy Gunn. Carrying a tag team belt that wasn't technically his as he walked out the most. Did he even get a coronation or a crown or anything? No. He just, he just got to do a wee design of his tights with that big Louis lips with a crown on it. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. So, but, you know, a solid buy rate for 93, you know. Hulkamania is going to die and they're about to go into the new generation era. Yeah. I watched uh, on YouTube earlier, mm-hmm. I watched a uh, promo. Mm <laughs> hmm. A Hulk Hogan promo for King of the Ring that was recorded a couple of weeks earlier on Raw. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's such a trip hearing Hulk Hogan in his Hulk Hogan fashion mm-hmm. talking about Monday Night Raw. You know, yeah. like, oh, no, oh Hulkamania is running wild on Monday Night Raw. And you're <laughs> like, but you're no but. Aye, but you're no but. Aye, but you're no but. Also, yeah, the tagline for the show uh, it was, Who will be the king? Be part of the coronation. <laughs> it's a pretty shit tagline, isn't it? It's 93. Ah, it's a bit shit, though. It's a bit shit. <laughs> early, early 90s, you know, mm-hmm. colourful cack. Yeah. But let's talk about the, the King of the Ring, not just this year's tournament, but let's talk about the concept of King of the Ring because yeah. this, they've been doing this as a house show, not staple, since 1985. They had. I think uh, there was King Harley Race. Uh-huh. There was King Haku. 
as well. See, I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but like the only, up until this point, the only years they skipped was randomly 1990 and 1992. They hadn't done one, but the first one they did, 1985, Don Morocco won that. Don Morocco. 1986, Harley Race won it, but the technically Haku and uh, Jim Duggan held king crowns, but uh, Haku won the right to be king, and then he lost that right to Duggan as well. So. I know, because when I met Duggan, he signed my SummerSlam King Duggan. <laughs> and then, ironically, Duggan would lose in the finals of the 1987 King of the Ring to Macho Man, who shortly after that would start the whole... Macho King. Well, yeah, well, actually, it would be a couple of years later, because he, he was a face, I remember, but later on, he would become the Macho King. Yeah. 1988, Macho Man would lose in the finals to uh, Ted DiBiase. King DiBiase. King DiBiase, the million dollar king. And then, 1989, Tito Santana... Sweet. Tito Santana. I love Tito, man. I know, I like Tito as well. El Matador, Tito Santana. I don't know why they skipped 1990, but then 1991, Brett the Hitman Hart won it. I think this was actually shortly after something like 91, so he would have been Intercontinental Champion at the time. Brett was a two-time King of the Ring. He, is, he was the first ever, and only, I think, yeah. two-time King of the Ring. Uh, but obviously, the WWE on this preview, they don't acknowledge any King of the Ring. They oh, keep saying the no, very no, first... No, no, no. You know who the best King of the Ring was, though? Hmm. King Barrett. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I am one for uh, King Booker. King Booker. Booker. Yeah. With Queen Charmel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, his royal you know, cabinet of Finlay and William Regal. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, you know what's funny? You know who Bret Hart beat in the finals of this King of the Ring randomly? IRS. IRS. In the 91 one? In the 91 King of the Ring. IRS versus Bret Hart in the final. I don't love King IRS. <laughs> The Tax King. The Tax King. Oh, that would have been so cool. <laughs> now, it's framed as if like, this is the opening. They call the quarterfinals and that's the opening round here, but yeah, technically we... the qualifying matches were also considered the first round. Yeah. And those were happening on TV starting on the May 2nd episode of Raw. So let me tell you about the eight guys and how they won- how they got into oh. the tournament, shall I? Go on then. Uh, Bret Hart received a bye into the tournament. I believe it was said that he was as great as the number one seed. I think it's because he was the former WWF champion at this point, ah. losing to Yokozuna at WrestleMania. And also, I think the whole concept of what Brett winning this tournament was basically a, we're sorry we're not getting you the belt back, but here, here's a wee crown for you. Ah, you can have a wee crown. Aye. Kind of like how uh, DiBiase, the million dollar belt, was a consolation for, sorry we can't have you win the title at Mania because uh, we can't have two heel champions and Honky won't drop the IC belt to Macho. So Macho's going to be the world champion for a while. Was, that was why DiBiase never officially won the belt. He was meant to win at Mania 4, but Honky wouldn't lose yet, wouldn't drop the IC belt to Macho. I can just point out, though, that on house shows, DBOC mm-hmm. defended yeah. the damn title. So, unofficially, he was. There's so many people nowadays pushing for mm-hmm. his title reign to be recognised. It should be recognised. Yeah, if, if Andre, who held it for two minutes before he sold it, can be recognised, then surely he can surely be. Surely DBOC can be fucking recognised. He at least defended it a few fucking times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that same regard, if if Andre can be classed as a champion for two fucking minutes, uh-huh. so should the Rockers. But then, as a former King of the Ring, the nineteen eighty nine winner Tito Santana put over a new star by losing to Razor for Razor to qualify for no, the King of the Ring. That would have been a good match to see. That would have been uh, Mister Perfect defeated Doink the Clown. <laughs> Mister Hughes defeated Kamala. Jim Duggan defeated Papa Shango. I just like to point out, Mr. Hughes and Jim Duggan are in this tournament, and yet they also describe the eight men as the eight best in the WWF. I mean, I'm so, I, know, I know you met Duggan, but 1983, 
It's not good best. It's not good, Dougie. This is weird. Randomly wearing a singlet, Dougie, for some reason. Well, actually, I can just say one thing. Uh-huh. Damn, say better than Mister Hughes. Yeah, and but still, and two, when he was wearing the singlet, he actually looked like he put on a bit of bulk. Hmm. You know, he looked a little more in shape, shall we say? Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow <laughs> earned his way in by defeating Typhoon. And one of Typhoon's last appearances in the WWE. Yeah, yeah. And a few months later, he would have his most iconic moment when he went over to WCW to become the shock, to become the shock master. And yet, competing in the match as this basically changed his gimmick to a weird, you know, hard hat wearing clumsy oaf, like all shock master. And he somehow got the win for his team in that war game. That's what people don't remember because, hmm. like, they wanted. I don't know why they did that, but so he he was on his way out and he put over Bam Bam. Lex Luger defeated Bob Backlund to get into the tournament. And finally, via DQ, uh, Tatanka defeated the Giant Gonzalez to get into this tournament. Giant Gonzalez? Mm. So there you go. Those are your eight men that qualified for the King of the Ring. Well, Giant Gonzalez, who, Gonzalez, who was billed as eight foot tall and wore lifts inside his shoes mm. to make himself that tall. He was told to go. Mm. Uh, and a very interesting commentary team we got here. I was very happy to hear after Vince does his screaming, Welcome to the heartland of America. <laughs> Welcome to the first ever King of the Ring. Welcome to the first ever televised <laughs> King of the Ring. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of sad that they didn't have what they'd have in later King of the Ring events where they'd have you know the two little guys opening the door. And I believe it was 95 or 96. 96. Where they had uh, the two Hardy, the Hardy yeah, boys. No, it was ninety six. I believe is it not in ninety six that Ahmed Johnson just pushes his bangs his way through when he's running down the ring mm-hmm. to fight Goldust. Like, it's a fucking way. Yeah, he just he basically kills the two doormen. But after years, the uh, you hear the big throat burning uh, Vincent Man. I was very happy to hear the voice of Jim Ross on commentary alongside Bobby Heenan and Randy Macho Man Savage. I think this is the same commentary team that we had had. Uh, WrestleMania well, that 9. was, yeah. But, but it, I, it was such a unique moment in time as well mm-hmm. to have both a, a golden era legend uh-huh. like Bobby Heenan uh-huh. alongside what, who a man who would come an attitude era legend mm-hmm. in JR. You and know? something you'll notice, you look at JR's face, a lot more youthful, and very, his voice very much more high-pitched because this is pre-his first... He's never had, he's not had Bell's palsy yet. Yeah, this yet. is when he can still move his mouth yeah, well. Yeah, his first bout of Bell's palsy would come sometime early 94, I believe. That would yeah, come. yeah. And then you have another bout like, sometime in the late 90s and something not, like that. Not a lot of people give that man credit for the mm-hmm. amount he just, he just, you know, he dealt with it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. He, he, sure, it took him out for a little while, but he came back and he dealt with it. And he, and I don't mean to, like... I. I know a lot of people can't speak positively of like afflictions and shit. But, yeah, you sure. know, I honestly think it defined his character. I believe it, yeah. You know, because you have that classic look of JR mm-hmm. doing his southern drawl, mm-hmm. you know, with his cowboy hat on and shit. You just, before that, like mm-hmm. when he was just the high pitched little man in his oh. suit, mm-hmm. he, was, he was cool. Yeah, he was still a great play by play guy. He was still a great play by play guy, but he just, what, he didn't have that. Thing that drew you in, you know. And I think the whole thing with the the cowboy hat—you never had that uh, in WCW. That was a, I think it was said to be a rib by by Vince. I all really funny to see Jr. in a cowboy hat. But Jr. made it work so well that it became his thing. Yeah, he's, he's even carried it over to AEW. He still wears the cowboy hat. It's still good old Jr. and everything. He still he still wears his cowboy hat just talking to people. He, yeah, he just, 
Likes just his like, hat. Just like doing appearances and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, he loves his hat. So yeah, it was an interesting mix, but it should buy SummerSlam. We've done SummerSlam 93 in our back alley, if you haven't checked that out. Uh, go listen to it. Yeah. But by then, I think Heenan and McMahon are back, and JR would be relegated to a uh, thing called Radio WWF. Him and Monsoon did. Yeah, I, I recall that brief period when they tried to do that. But then they, did, but then they did actually get the Radio WWF guys to do a match and take over. And at Survivor Series '93, when they did a Smoky Mountain match, it was the Rock and Roll Express versus the Heavenly Bodies. Yeah, and basically the case of Vince going, I don't know anything about these Southern wrestlers. JR, you get in here. <laughs> and then, like, early 94, JR had his bills palsy and went away, which is sad because I, I would have loved to have had JR fill in for, for King for a little while after King had to leave in late 93, early 94, before he came back at me at 10 after his legal trouble, we'll say. Because yeah. actually, the, the commentary team at Rumble 94 is uh, Vince and Ted DiBiase. Yeah. Uh, DiBiase actually makes a reference to Vince being the owner. Uh, which then been discussed really like, you know, like, man, I think it actually should be you that's working for me <laughs> at one point. Says, so, but you know, that's that. Let's a bit. We'll talk and, more about Jr. and everything. And can, can we just say Jr. the uh, King's legal trouble, which which was mm-hmm. you know sorted in his favour. Mm-hmm. I may add. Yeah. Also, we're going to talk about this diamond. We talked about USWA kind of having this relationship with the uh, WF at the time it was kind of a basically with Daryl Oliver being there. They had uh, we feud. Some of the WF guys going down there with JL Law being the face down in Memphis. Yeah. And eventually they do the relationship with Smoky Mountain when Jim Cornette comes in. When reigning USW Unified World Champion Papa Shango successfully defended his championship in a dark match against Owen Hart. Wow. That's a weird match. Basically, the Godfather versus Owen Hart, technically. That's weird. Who, who knew that just in a little while they would be in the same faction? <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, they're both in the nation. That's when he was a nugget. <laughs> I am not, not a, a nugget. nugget. <laughs> uh, so then we get the the commentary team, like I said, the three man team of Jr. Bobby and Randy reckless to the show, and we go right into our first King of the Ring match: Bret Hart versus Razor Ramon. Which very interesting. This is kicking us off as this was the WIF Championship match at the Royal Rumble this same year yeah. when Bret was the champion taking on Razor. Who if you think about it, Razor debuted shortly before the Survivor Series. That's right, he teams with uh, Brick Flair, Flair to take on Perfect and Macho Man. Funnily enough, that was originally supposed to be the Mega Maniacs before yeah. Warrior buggered off. buggered off again. Well, I think we got he the was, better he was end of it. He's very good at doing that. Yeah, he's very good at buggering off and giving us the better end of the deal because Perfect I'd rather see than, than fucking Warrior any oh, day. Fuck yes, man. Perfect was good in that match. Yeah, and then Rumble, he has the match against uh, Brett. You know, he gets a title match on one of the big pay per views. Mania, he gets to fight. Bob Backlund, but he was the one. Yeah. He's been featured on WrestleMania, uh, and now he's here in the King of the Rings. So he's done a lot in a short amount of time. And what a lot of people don't know about Scott Hall, I think he's still fairly early, only a few years in the business at this time. He had a brief run in WCW as the the Diamond Stud, he was called. Yeah, yeah. And Brett even commented in his book about this match. He said that I said I really like really enjoyed the match. He said he credited Scott Hall by saying, you know, even like from a few months ago when we had that match at King of the Ring. He, he had already showed significant improvement just in the few months from then to now. Yeah. So I'll say Brett was full of praise for Scott Hall in that regard when it comes to this match. Uh, the crowd are chatting one, two, three. Yeah. Because uh, he had only a couple weeks earlier lost that ma- famous match on Raw to the one, two, three kids. That was what broke his undefeated streak, was it not? 
I think so. Like yeah. he, he he offered him money to know if he can somehow beat him and. It, and they also, well, he blames Macho Man because I think at some point on Raw, Macho Man was encouraging the crowd to chant one, two, three, and so it's carried over. So yeah. Bobby Heenan's given out to Macho Man. See what you've done? The people are chanting, they're distracting Razor Ramon. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, you know, I think when you think about it, that moment with Razor and the kid, and that's him at the same time that Marty randomly shows up to win the IC belt from yeah. Sean, those, were, those two moments are two of the first proper memorable Raw moments because. For the first few months, Raw was pretty much, you know... Just Raw. Yeah, it was the same as all the other shows, you know. Oh, the Sabbath guy, be a squash. And a squash match, be another job guy. And that was pretty much it. Well, was this not King of the Ring 93 not significant as well? And please correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But was this not Bobby Heenan's last pay-per-view with the dub as well? No, I believe he would carry on until Survivor Series. Survivor Series carry on until? I think he wanted, I think he wanted to leave it. The main reason he said that the main reason he went to WCW is that you know his daughter was going to school close to Atlanta and that's and he, and he moved to take the job there to be close to her. Yeah, so that's a fair enough reason. Yeah, which is fair enough. And also he was probably being paid a good chunk of money at the time as well. You know. I would assume so from old, old billionaire Ted. I mean, Bobby Heenan is famous for you know using the expression "you won't offend me with cash." I'm sure that's what he said to old billionaire Ted at the time. <laughs> so yeah, like I think you got a good class of opponents for Brett in this. Like I think he got the best like possible choice of opponents he could on oh, this I show. I think so. I think so. I mean, starting out with Razor. Yeah. You know, it was to like you say at that time period, like you say, like you say, Razor, like you say, was. Um, you know, really coming up at the time, <laughs> just advancing in ability, blah, blah, blah. So you got Razor, and I personally think the match at the Royal Rumble 93 was, you know, that was a great match, uh-huh. you know. Funnily enough, it always annoyed me that that was Razor's only, uh-huh. like, proper title shot, you know what I mean? Which is which is strange yeah. that that was the case, because something I noticed about here is that this is the... We've covered Razor matches quite a few times, whether through classic reviews like SummerSlam 94 we've talked about in the past, or the various In Your Houses we've talked about, because we've got a series that covers that. Yeah. But every time we cover Razor, he's always, he's always before now, being a babyface, and it's always admired me how he managed to maintain being over through a prolonged period of time. He was always over fans. He always seemed to get some of the loudest reactions behind, like, say, Sean or Brett, yeah. maybe from that era. And, and yet, despite being a heel, and yet when you know, but then he was kept up. But when he was a face, though, like even despite being sore, that's when they chose to not have him in the world title scene. He was primarily the IC title guy, yeah, alongside kind of like say Sean or, or like Jeff Jarrett, Goldust, kind of in that time. He, was, he never, kind of hold on. He kind of held on to the belt for a while until they were to give it someone new. Yeah, well, I suppose he was like the IC title version of Brett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I recommend you. I think you could say that. Yeah, because I, what what did Brett always say? Like, or what what did what do people think a lot about Brett? He was just basically, you hold on to that until we can find somebody better. Pretty much like that's how he felt when he won the belt from Diesel to him was on, and then it's kind of a similar run from from like end of ninety two up to me and then where he was where he dropped it to Yoko. So he didn't always have the longest you know reigns. I mean, I think his longest reign was his ninety four reign when he won at Mania ten. Yeah, hell, it's a virus. He was at Backland. Even though he should have, should have lost it to Owen. Should have done, but, but less said about that, the better. But like, I mean, to tell you, as a heel, though, Razor then gets the title shot, and this is the first paper we've covered where, where Razor is still a heel, because by the time he gets to SummerSlam, 
he'll he'll have already turned babyface and maintain a babyface run through right. the rest of his run because yeah, right, right. and I think the music because maybe he turns phases DiBiase kind of mocks him for losing a kid and then he kind of stands up to the million dollar man who everybody dislikes he's a big heel yeah and then he kind of retires million dollar man at Survivor at SummerSlam and now from then on he just was always a good guy from then yeah. I mean, he still held on to elements of his heel character and whatnot, but... I think he was the first proper cool he, bad guy, almost. Like, he called himself the bad guy, acted like an, a bad guy, but was always cheered. Yeah. He was one of the first yeah. people to kind of do that. He was the first sort of tweener guy. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's the best way of putting it. The commentators point out that it's a 50-minute time limit for all first-round matches, second-round matches are 30 minutes, and it's a 60-minute time limit for the, for the final. Yeah. And they emphasise the importance of getting a quick win in the first round. Yeah, like they, the they do make minutes. it seem very proper, you know, very mm-hmm. legit. Yeah, and there's a bit of a struggle at the start, you know, to kind of get the advantage. Brett tries to take control of the match and bring Razor down to the mat. Tries to get control of the arm. There's a time he tries to go for an Andra, then yeah. Razor just whacks some of the, the <laughs> clothesline. Yeah, I always thought Razor was solid at that. Like, see, whenever he hit anybody with mm-hmm. a big clothesline. Yeah. It's just like, like, I know he wasn't as, like, well, he didn't because he was so tall. Yeah, you didn't realize just how much power he had in his arms, and whenever he hit anybody with that big, short, like clothesline, mm-hmm. you didn't mind them feeling it. You felt it. Yeah, you know, you felt it. Uh, Brett manages to take control of the arm and bring Mazer down. That Mazer tries to get back up and goes to slam Brett. Yeah, but as he slams him, Brett I mean constrains the control of the arm, so he rolls through and gets him right back where he was before. Yeah. See, that, that was something and here we go, there's me giving praise to Brett again. <laughs> Sick. I feel like I'm <laughs> going to be doing that a lot during this fucking show. Uh-huh. But anyway, when Brett used to do that kind of thing, mm-hmm. like like reversing a move where you did, like you thought no one can reverse that. Why? Yeah. How are you reversing that one? You'd yeah. just be slammed, and he would grab onto an arm, mm-hmm. and always twist it into some kind of like quick or long-held submission or mm-hmm. some kind of something. Yeah. But it, it was, it was as if the fucker always had like it was always two two thoughts ahead. Do you know yeah. what I mean? In terms of a like a a key sense, I think it's you know Brett. You know, like you say, like wearing a guy down, wearing a boy part. Maybe it's not advisable. <laughs> As I said, you got to get it within 15 minutes. But yeah. I think it's Brett showing that he's the better technician and trying to take the match to his base until he eventually finds an opening to beat Razor. Yeah. And he does manage to find like quite an opening later on. So he manages to take kind of control of the arm until you know, eventually Razor manages being the taller guy and probably the, the stronger guy, which he, yeah. he faces up to twice. He faces a stronger opponent, does Brett. And you know, he takes control of it. Uh, Gets, he sends right, right into the ring post. He hits a series of follow slams. And at one point, stomps right on Brett's fingers as well, which would carry over yeah. to the next match because when he comes into the next match, his fingers are taped up. Razor manages to like show more of a dominant side now that he's a heel, whereas in his other matches, he was always the one kind of in peril. Yeah. We talked about him. But uh, let, let's face it, that was the shtick for the WWF at the time. Yeah. When you're the face, mm-hmm. oh, you're always fighting those odds. Mm-hmm. Which is always which, which depended on who Razor was against. They believe that because you know because he is pretty tall. Like when he was fighting that when he had that match with Diesel uh, at SummerSlam '94, then you believe it because no, yeah. Kevin Nash. You know, very few people are taller than Kevin Nash. Very true. Very more true. more on him later on. Uh, he, he stumps on the fingers. He hits in the voice, and he goes for an elbow drop. Well, I kind of kind of made me laugh this way. He goes for an elbow drop. Brett rolls away. 
Then he gets right back up, tries to get on, Brett rolls away again. Yeah. Goes for a third one, he rolls away again. <laughs> like, it didn't work the last two times, so what did you think was going to happen? Stop trying the elbow, try something else. <laughs> I don't know. You're doing the same thing, expecting a different just, result. Just step on him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then Brett does his classic, first of a few times that happened, the classic, you know, chest first right into the turnbuckle spot yeah. that he takes. And my Christ, Razor could throw him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then Razor looks to finish it. Uh, quickly by getting the getting the razor's edge, but Brett's you know fighting it and, and just take case on the turnbuckle, flip over, get into a small package, a thing that I don't think I'd ever seen before, and I didn't expect to see it in nineteen eighty three. Yeah, uh, very close to it. I really thought that was the finish because I knew he went through, but I didn't know. I couldn't remember what the finish was to this match, so I thought that got me. And Brett then gets up to kind of argue with the ref a little bit, which is not very face like from Brett, but then he turns around to a fucking boot from yeah. his, uh, he then puts him up onto the the top rope, goes for the you know, follow-away slam, like kind of back suplex off the top. Yeah. But Brett manages to flip over, land on Razor, and kind of get on top of him for the three. And Brett gets a quick spin and around. Where did I put it? I forgot to put the line there, but it was around ten minutes. Yeah, it's like, very it's very telling though. Even at that point when Brett was, you know, oh, here I got it. Ten twenty-five. Yeah, minutes. but. Even at that point when Brett was Mr. Babyface, mm-hmm. you know, like, right through until the latter part of his run, basically. But it was interesting to see, like, all through Brett's run, right, mm-hmm. right up until he turned heel proper, there was always that element in him. Mm-hmm. Like, like little little hints of, like, that's kind of heel-like. Yeah. You know, like, see, like, when he would, like, like, when he would become uber-aggressive on opponents... Mm-hmm. Like, frustrated, aggressive, you know what I mean? Or like you say, when he would turn around, he would shout and argue with the referee. You think, like, faces aren't supposed to do that shit. Yeah. But I don't know if Brett was, like, putting that in his character himself, would try to show passion, like... Yeah. You know, like, how can you not be quick enough to count the pin or... Yeah. ...kind of thing, but because you're always in that mindset, like, especially when you're a young kid watching it, you're thinking, that's what the bad guys do. They shout at the referee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if Razor did that, nobody would bat an eyelid. Yeah, but when Brett does it, you're like, yeah, hold on, you're not supposed to do that. So I think Brett manages to find an opening to get the, the win on the, or the larger guy by curtaining his momentum and getting that pin. Something that I, I heard about going into this show, uh, going to my research for the show, yeah. but I never could find a reason as to why it was the case. Maybe I've been always tempted to read Brett's books. I keep hearing good things about it and how... He properly like admits about his affairs and everything, <laughs> despite being affronted. But I always say like, oh, how are you so affronted about the Sunny Days comment? Like, I never cheated on on my wife with Sunny. Here's all the women I did cheat on her with. But um, or maybe we'll find it in Brett's book. But for some reason, Pat Patterson was the agent for much of Brett's matches and on this show, and basically gave him the, the told him you can't win any of your matches with a sharpshooter. No real reason I can I can find has been given as to why that was the case. You just couldn't. Yeah. I mean, it's not the only thing they couldn't get on the opponents that you got it through, but maybe they wanted to show him by getting the wins that he does, it makes him look more like a plucky underdog or makes him look more valiant or maybe it looks like something smarter that you can find any kind of opening to get the win on somebody. It could have also been because Brett had been accused a lot during his, during his career mm-hmm. of being a little, you know, one-dimensional. Uh-huh. You know, kind of traipsing into five moves of doom territory. Yeah. Because Brett did have a formula. Mm-hmm. Brett's general formula was, like, the main thing was he worked the legs. Yeah. Right? He'd done, he done his leg work. 
he done his like he done his calf and thigh kicks. Uh-huh. He would do like quick drop into the groin with mm-hmm. his he- like was, was sort of sharp head butt into the groin. You had that. You had, you had, you had the kind of the atomic drop. The atomic leg sweep. The atomic drop. The, the leg sweep. And then he would go for the stamps again. And then there was always a period where he would attempt the sharpshooter, uh-huh. fuck it up, or the guy would escape. Like the main moves he would do before the sharpshooter would be the backbreaker. I think it's a people forget that the back takes yeah. a lot of damage in the sharpshooter as well, and then does that that elbow, that drop. little second rope elbow <laughs> thing he did, yeah. The second rope or Brett's rope, as OSW tend to call it. Yeah, Brett's rope. <laughs> it sometimes he didn't even go for the rope, or sometimes he just did a short, sharp elbow like from standing position. Yeah, but it always seemed to be as soon as he gets the elbow, that was kind of the cue of the the sharpshooter is probably going to come very that, soon. That was like Brett's version of. You, <laughs> you. <laughs> but, but at least Brett before he hit his main move sold unlike Hogan yeah yeah but yeah but I think the point I suppose I'm very long way trying to get to here yeah is basically like I think they were trying to stave off Brett being seen as so one dimensional so maybe it was a case of like, let's see him win matches and stuff other than the formula because he does go for the sharp shirt once twice especially he goes for for one one in the final and the semi-final. Yeah. So he attempts it, but maybe it also makes his opponents kind of look smarter that they were able to avoid it and they maybe they scouted, but they know that he's known for that sharp shooter. Yeah, yeah. Because, let us say, it could, it could have been like you say, you know, like, there could have been some stupid reason why he wasn't, he was told not to use a sharp shooter, but my opinion, just my opinion, mind you, is that we're trying to make sure he didn't become one of those guys, you know? I think so, because... A lot of them said that Brett was basically trying to make sure that all three matches were like out class. They say what anybody else. He always wanted to have the best match on the show, but yeah. he especially felt like he had something to prove in these three matches because he, before the show he'd been told basically like the match with you and Hogan at SummerSlam that you were promised it's not happening. You're not winning the belt mm. back at SummerSlam. You're just going to win it. You're going to feud with Jerry Lawler, and so he kind of felt like he had something to prove to prove like well you made a wrong the wrong decision by not putting the belt. I mean like kind of like he's in your house matches in '85 like. Like, okay, and put me in a feud with Hakushi, put me in a feud with John Pierre Lafitte, but I'll I'll put on a better match than Diesel's gonna give you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was he was all he was always like he was always like, Well, you don't want me to be the champion, but I'm gonna wrestle like a champion, so I'm gonna show you that I should be the Yeah. And so maybe again that's why he wanted to show that he was not like a Hogan, like you said, that he didn't have his like, you know, you boot boot leg drop. Yeah. He could win matches other ways. But after this match, we get the a recap of WF Superstars where Mr. Hughes, brought in by Harvey Wolfman, attacked Paul Bearer and the Undertaker by smashing them in the back with the urn. Yeah. That's kind of, he's almost the secondary boss to before and to get to the final boss, which is meant to be Giant Gonzalez. <laughs> and Mr. Hughes has the urn when he comes in here. Spoiler alert, uh, Undertaker fights Giant Gonzalez at SummerSlam, beats him, sends him back, and Number has a match with Mr. Hughes. Mr. Hughes is not around very long. No. He does randomly pop back up in 97 as a like, bodyguard for Hunter Hearst Helmsley. That and was... Rumble 97. That was Rumble... I was... Yeah. I don't know why I thought Rumble 96 there, but you're right. Rumble 97. And then he pops back up in 99 for a wee while when he's randomly paired with Chris Jericho. Yeah. He popped up in 97. Do you know why? Hmm. Well, as we've talked about in the past about DX and China and mm-hmm. her being the bodyguard in that, Sean Michaels and Triple H had said to Vince <laughs> long before that 97 Rumble, said, look at this woman. She is ginormous. <laughs> she is, you know, she's a beast. I, and 
Hunter was like, how much of a trip would that be, me having this big, beefy chick bodyguard? <laughs> and I think Lutley just started kind of dating at the time. Maybe. I think. But Hunter and Sean were like, nah, bring this big chick in. She's kick-ass, man. She will kick-ass. Yeah, I think... And, Vi- and Vince being his old, pervy man, Sal was going, well, a woman can't be bodyguards. Can't have women as a bodyguard. So instead of letting them have China... Mm-hmm. Vince was like, no, I have this big huge dude. I've missed the Hughes. And like Hunter had came down to the ring and he's like, I think he said in some commentary, he's like, so I'm walking down with this random big dude, you know, like for whatever reason. I think it was smart though, doing their training to go against the norm, like rather than a man coming in with a woman who's like a valley who doesn't really do much. Yeah. He's like, he's now hiding behind this, this big fucking this woman. This big silent assassin. And like I say, the first time I've ever seen China show up, she fucking ragdolls Marlena like mm-hmm. nothing. I know. And I got to admit, I laughed. Do you know what I mean? I like, oh, I'd asked, seen it the first time. I was like, look at this big chick, <laughs> annihilating this chick here, man. <laughs> like, the minute, I, the first time I've seen China, I thought she could have kicked anybody's ass, guy or chick, because she was huge. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. It shows how much we don't want to talk about Mr. Hughes, but you know, at least Mr. Perfect's in the ring with him, so... Hell yes. The battle of not only to see who advances the King of the Ring, but who has the right to be called Mr. in the <laughs> WWF. <laughs> Mr. Hughes is already in the ring, so it's kind of an indication of how this is going to go for him. Yeah. And I just basically sum this up as Mr. Perfect works around Mr. Hughes. Yeah. You know, in terms of like how Frazier was described to family guy, ah, Mr. Perfect, when you were still around the uncoordinated Mr. Hughes, you work around the uncoordinated yes. Mr. Hughes. Right. Wrestle the air around him. Honestly, and yet he has some right hands on, like, on Mr. Perfect. He, he, Mr. Perfect bumps way too generously for him. Like, he takes a, a right hand and goes flying out the ring. It's almost when Shawn Michaels oversold for Hogan at SummerSlam that one time. Yeah, yeah. Like a little of thing. Uh, that match was hilarious. There's a point where... Uh, Mr. Hughes may hit a spine buster, but he fucking falls. And so both of them just try to try cover for him by just hitting each other, like, scrapping, like, like a couple of wings, like, <laughs> Basically. Uh, during this, we've got Brett kind of appears in the right up top left-hand yeah. of the screen. Basically, they ask him, well, who do you want to face? And, uh, and he goes, you know, it's kind of yeah, a thing, question between strength and endurance. And I think I'd rather Mr. Pepp for the endurance, you know I kind of have more respect for him. Yeah, I, th- I loved that part of it where Brett says that because it's, it's basically like a, you know, <laughs> on camera sort of like, I don't like wrestle that big lumbering twat. <laughs> I want I want to wrestle the guy that has skill, you know what I mean? It's interesting how they do it for Brett and be spaced out so that Brett can kind of recover for a little bit because he's in the opening match, they do the rest of the first round, Brett wrestles again, uh, then they do all the non-tournament matches in a row yeah. and Brett's in the main event so they space it out so Brett can have a bit of a a bit of a rest, you know, a bit of rest, but put, put his feet up, have a cup of tea. <laughs> I wonder if he did have a cup of tea. Maybe. Why not? Smoking too. Yeah, he, he knows, like, I'm winning at the end of the night, I can drink as whatever I want. <laughs> I'll, I'll have some nice tea and scone. <laughs> okay, I'll win this match and go have tea and biscuits. Right. Oh, not biscuits. <laughs> all right, all right. Not biscuits, but let's win it anyway. Right. Right. He's bugging no. off. <laughs> so, yeah, he's scarfed. Uh, you might find if you've not listened to poor, we do tend to delve into Mighty Python quite a bit sometimes. Yeah. But, uh, Look, let's see the violence inherited in the system. <laughs> help, help, I'm being repressed. <laughs> Bloody peasant. Oh, there he is. You hear that? You heard him, didn't you? <laughs> anyway, 
then Mr. Hughes basically he's got Mr. Perry kind of throw it across the middle where we go see basically sit on him. Rip, <laughs> Uh, perfect moves out of the way and Mr. Hughes kind of gives this weird face like mm. yeah. so he's, uh, yeah, he's balls and he's arse right in the middle <laughs> rope and then Mr. Perry manages to a backdrop on this big fucker somehow and then Mr. Hughes decides I don't care about winning anymore <coughs> just grabs the urn and just whacks Mr. Perfect. perfect in the head and then somehow he and Harvey Wolfman looks shocked when they announce that they've lost by DQ yeah, you're not supposed to hit people with things Mr. Hughes yeah Six minutes and two seconds that went, and you know, somehow but six minutes too long. Uh, it's not as bad as I thought. I mean, <laughs> Mister Perfect showed how you, he can get you, Mister Hughes, to have like, a somewhat competent match. Yeah, and uh, so thank you, Mister Perfect, for that. I think you notice the this match and the match we're about to talk about are like quite short. I think because they know that the last last uh, opening round match and the semi-final are going to go around fifteen minute plus. So I think let's have a couple of short matches in between. Make sure the crowd. Don't get too tired before we want them to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a smart move. Uh, so uh, I think it was a smart move as well because, you know, I'll be fucked if I want to watch fucking Bret Hart versus Mr. Hughes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say as well in regards to Mr. Perfect, mm-hmm. considering like, and we're going to, we're obviously going to delve very deep into the match between him and Bret in mm-hmm. the final. But considering their first big match at SummerSlam 91, yeah. when Mr. Perfect was wrestling like severely injured uh-huh. from what I've from what I've read. Like I knew he was injured, but until I'd read I didn't realise just how much mm-hmm. pain he was in. But for him to have wrestled that and then been out for so long and then come back during that ninety three, ninety four period mm-hmm. and even though he he didn't win the IC title or mm-hmm. you know any significant mm-hmm. titles or anything, he put on some quality matches mm-hmm. from the time he was back. He really did. I mean, you talk about people who are meant to win things. <coughs> people who are to win things. Like, obviously, he didn't win the biggest thing he won was the actual title. He was meant to win a Royal Rumble. He yeah, was meant to win 1990. He was meant to win. I know. I often laugh when I watch Royal Rumble 2002 when he makes his return. And I always listen to JR's commentary and go, oh, JR, <laughs> because JR's commentary states Mr. Perfect wrestled his first Royal Rumble in 1993. No, no, he did not. No, he did not. I don't, I don't get why you would even, why they would even have him say that. Yeah, they say he wrestled his first Rumble in 1993. He was one of the final two in 1990. In 1990. Fucking hell. Anyway, we get a promo from Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna. I see. What's well, mostly Mr. Fuji doing the talking? <laughs> well, but, as 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 was eh. as was the thing. But also being the, the kind of heels that they are, they're basically like kicking off us, even though they challenged Hogan to the match at me at yeah. nine. They're like, you took advantage because you took advantage of my Yokozuna. He wrestled twenty minute plus against Bret Hart. I looked up, but I looked up the Mania nine length. It was just under nine minutes. It was maybe a bit longer, but close to fifteen minutes. But uh, according to Bret. Yoko was knackered and he called for the finish early because he was shattered. <laughs> even though Brett had structured the match around a way that would kind of still make Yoko look good, even though he might have not wanted to go that long. Yeah, I'll. I'll oh. See, you all. Yeah, it seems as if you're setting me up to give the cunt credit every two seconds. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm repeating what he said. I know, but once again, I have to give him credit. <laughs> you know, but he was always good at that. 
Yeah. And I find it odd sometimes with some of the stuff I've I've heard other wrestlers say. Mm-hmm. Like famously I watched uh you know how you find a lot of these shoot interviews on YouTube and blah blah blah, right? Mm-hmm. I seen one famously from it was part of a wrestler shooting on Bret Hart, right? Yeah. And one of them was Psycho Sid. Mm-hmm. And he said wrestle and Bret was like pulling teeth. Huh. He said when you wrestled Sean Sean always made it work for you, hmm. but Brett's main intention during a match was to make himself look good. Hmm. But then you hear things like that, like Brett always trying to structure a match so yeah. both people look good. Yeah, I mean, there is a, I've, I've seen like hour-long videos, I've not watched them, but hour-long videos of a compilation of various shoots for Brett. Very different people think it was titled Bret Hart, Buries the World. Yeah, or something I've like seen that, that one. Because he has buried quite a few people. Yeah, he does. He does have a lot of opinion, but a lot of people have varying opinions on him too. Mm-hmm. Because you will get a lot of people that say Brett was really quite a quite a given opponent and quite a good opponent. Mm-hmm. But then you will get people like said to say things like, "Well, wrestling was like pulling teeth," or that Undertaker story. Yeah, about again, are you like not taking the jack knife or something like that in the the match with Diesel before Undertaker interfered, and he. He's had the same going, I ain't a fucking boot. I just, I love what Kevin Nash's impression of Undertaker, like Undertaker, he just jumps out of his chair and goes, motherfucker, not everything's about you. <laughs> but, <laughs> again, before we get to you again, uh, the third, uh, first round match, um, I, I feel one of the most underrated big men, but one of the most underrated people ever, and Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, yes. Because like, if you just judge him on your WF run, then maybe he didn't contact, but look at what he did in ECW. You know, like he, where he won the TV title, the world title, and might have held the tag belt. I can't remember. I know he teamed with Chris Candido a lot. From the East. Mm-hmm. And like he stuff, he had to run WCW, everything. But I, I honestly, I may have like kind of went in on Vader one time when I, when we did a King of the Ring '95 watch on for Pains, I was a bit drunk and I was talking about how much I like how I, I, I do prefer Bam Bam a little bit to Vader if I had a choice of seeing only one of these guys can win a world title. I kind of might have went for Bam Bam to win it. But I think at the time I was very drunk and we were watching the main event where he teams with Diesel and I may have went in a bit too heavily on Vader. Well, Vader's a prick. He said this thing in an interview and like, <laughs> I, I may have got, let my emotions get the better of me and the alcohol. Did you get drunk and emotional? Uh-huh. Scott, much. Scott, we've all done that. Alcohol plus emotions aren't a good combination. I do that a lot. <laughs> also, you've yeah, got fucking tax or, you know, getting the wearing at the crowd. USA, USA. You got your wrestling's from New Jersey. You're not going in there against fucking Yokozuna, because if you would, you get squashed, but still. Yeah, but, you know, he goes in saying USA because I've got no, <laughs> I've got no, <laughs> USA. <laughs> I know. And so I'll say USA, he tries to clothesline Bam Bam, but uh, he takes some, like, three attempts to eventually knock him on his arse. Yep. Uh, he moves it. Bama moves out the way, sending uh, Duggan into the corner, and Duggan then sells the ribs, which means he can't slam Bam Bam. Uh, but at one point, eventually, he does manage to get it. Uh, then he runs. He, he should have learned from last time. He runs at him again. Don't run at Bama because he'll move. Yeah. And he does again. <laughs> hits off the turnbuckle. Didn't even hit the pose. He hits the turnbuckle. Bam Bam quickly goes up, diving head, but four minutes fifty nine. Yeah. Well, this was just a simple match to make Bam Bam look good against someone who used to be good. I mean, Bam, it's not as if Bam Bam couldn't wrestle more than one match in because oh, he does. No, no. Like, cause, like, cause he does get a bye. One well, on that in a bit. 
But I think the whole thing of this being short and him getting a bye is because he's big, but he's also fresh. Whereas Brett is you know, a good wrestler, probably the better wrestler, but he is severely weakened by this point. Yeah. So I think it's the further start of the odds, especially if you're a Bret Hart fan, you're very you know, nervous. And especially if you're a young, young kid watching this, who's very much into the company and believes everything they tell you. And you're yeah. like, oh, fuck, Brett's no in trouble here. Then we go backstage. We've got a, well, I've described a boring Steiners and Smoking Guns interview with Terry Taylor. Because, <laughs> you know, the Smoking Guns, they've only made their debut like the night after me and nine, so this is their first pay-per-view. Yeah. You know? This one, they still have tashes and mullets. Yes. Yeah, They're like, so. oh, we're going to go out there and we got our new finisher. It's going to be the key to victory here. And then it gets to Scott Steiner. This is pre-Big Papa Pump Steiner, so... Yeah, this is still mullet and clean-shaven Steiner. This is... I can re- I can still relatively wrestle Steiner, but can't cut a promo. Then WCW later on becomes... I can cut a hell of a promo. It rambles all over the place. But I'm not the best wrestler anymore. No. This is back when he could still do a competent, you know, mm-hmm. Hurricane Rana. You know, like, because he, he hypes up the Frankenstein and everything. Like, he's very, he's very monotone. Like, if only we could combine the, the wrestling ability of this Steiner with the mad madness promo-wise of later Scott Steiner, we'd have the... we'd have He'd, he'd be world champion for fucking years. Yeah. Isn't it, it interesting, though, that he became... He ended up becoming, like, a genetic freak version of his older brother? And like, because Rick Steiner, <laughs> as we used to call him, the dog-faced gremlin. Which is one of the worst... It's not even a good nickname. They're, they're calling you ugly, Rick. How can you not see that? I didn't think he was an ugly man. I know, but, like, calling someone dog-faced and a gremlin is not a compliment. Yeah. I know. I never. I never got it myself, but you know, mm-hmm. I was. I, that's probably a thing I like about Josh Alexander from Impact too, mm. because he he wears the things that Rick Steiner oh, wore. Yeah, the headgear. The headgear. You know. I was gonna say, are you calling Josh Alexander a dog face gremlin as well? No, he'll find you. Oh God, no. <laughs> but like, yeah, because then he's the more he sounds more like Scott does in later on because. It comes down and he finally injects some life into yeah, it. We're going to go out there. <laughs> and all that crap. So, goes back to the ring. So we go back to the next match, which is the narcissist and Lex Luger taking on Tatanka, putting out both men undefeated at this stage. Uh, Luger, like, he goes from WrestleMania 9, we had the women with the sparklers and all the mirrors for him. And then he's just got one solitary mirror right in the middle of the ring. Like, I'm sorry, was it too expensive to get multiple mirrors and multiple women every show? So, like, I'm trying to save money. Let's just give me the one solitary mirror. It makes more sense, mm. if you ask me. See, the narcissist, mm. right, comes to WrestleMania 9, he has all these mirrors, all these women. But if he's a narcissist, mm-hmm. then he cares not for what the women think or the multiple mirrors. He needs one mirror mm-hmm. to look at his fantastic physique. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'd want that mirror nowadays. No. But he definitely wanted it then, because he was a big, muscular thing. I mean, we, we've talked a lot on this show about, because we covered SummerSlam 93, and we were very sympathetic towards Luger. We thought we should have won the belt, because it seemed like the crowd at the time were into it. Yeah. Like, on that evening. And then my, my, uh, my feeling sorry for him is lessened every time we review a subsequent show that he's involved in, because, you know, you had the bloody... Thing with him at SummerSlam '94 again against Tatanka, uh, where like, oh, is he gonna turn? And he doesn't, but Tatanka's the one that turns. Like, so who cares? Yeah. <laughs> and then you had him, had, you know, you had him, then you had him at Starcade 2000, all roided up with a shit haircut and being generally annoying. Yeah. And then him 
oh, I've taken I'm part of a singer splash. I am gone now from a Bash of the Beach '96 and getting mm. carried out. So, but I don't mind him as much here. I liked him here as a narcissist. Uh, and it's all about the, the he's been threatened with getting eliminated if he doesn't put that elbow pad yeah. over his over I, his bionic elbow thing. I have a narcissist wrestling figure. Good for you. Yeah. Also, it's get, cool. Can I point out when they wrestled at SummerSlam '94, these two they say, "Oh, I believe this is the first time these two have ever wrestled each other." Right here. Yeah. Right here, Vince. Yeah. Like honestly, Vince. <laughs> I'm not going to use that term because it's very frowned upon, but Vince is so, so silly here. So goddamn silly. He, he doesn't believe his audience will remember things, probably because he doesn't either. No, that's the thing, though. It's as if he, it's as if he thinks his own bloody audience is completely, like, what, we're just going to forget? Mm-hmm. He's like, no, Vince, people watch. Mm-hmm. They also mentioned that uh, Bam Bam and Tatanga have been in a bit of a feud at the time. And uh, like like that, uh, Bam Bam like cut some of Tatanga's hair because Bam Bam also does a, a screen thing kind of like Brett did earlier. Yeah. He specified that he wants to face Tatanka in the next round, which you'd assume that would be the case because he's still undefeated. But then again, Lex is very new, so it's interesting what they choose to do here. But uh, he's still like trying to pose. So when Tatanka comes down, Lex jumps him so he can go right back to posing, <laughs> and then Tatanga calls back and I like this, and he just pushes them right into Lex's face. Mm. But I was kind of hoping they'd do a thing where Lex is posing, and then they'd shoot from behind him so you can see in the mirror, I can just see as Lex is posing, Tatanga just pops up behind him, like, <laughs> like surprise! <laughs> they do a, a bit of a brawl on the <laughs> he outside. He jumps up and goes, how? <laughs> like, Bobby Heenan, you know, not very sensitive for the time, but uh, he's still a bit... Uh, Tatanka goes, Tatanka doesn't know what 15 minutes is. He thinks that's one third of a moon. We <laughs> said, no bother, he did the, the, hey, how oh. are you? Hey, how are you? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> You're right. It, it, it's not exactly very sensitive to those times. But you know what? At the time, it was just funny. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, weren't any moons in it. But, but Bobby is still a hell of a commentator. Like I said, he does what, well, especially when we talk about, he does praise Brett points. He talks about perfect, even though in the next match where... In positive terms, even though he and Perfect obviously had a parting of ways since he's no longer managing yeah. them, but he still puts people over, even though if he doesn't technically like them as a heel, which is something that Gerald Aller as a heel didn't always yeah. do. Well, I I know I, I know I'm probably in the minority of a lot of people, but if you were to truly ask me, mm-hmm. commentary teams, who is my favourite? I'd have to go for Heenan and Gorilla. Oh, they are a solid team. I will grant you that. I mean, I always I loved Gorilla's catchphrases. Though, will you stop? Like they 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 were basically Jr. and King before Jr. and King. They were the golden era Jr. and King. Yeah. Oh, I remember watching SummerSlam '91 recently for any SSR podcast, and uh, uh, one of my best one of the best thing. Like, will you be serious? Was uh, he goes? Oh, we got the match made in hell coming up, and uh, he just turns and goes. Oh, is the wedding coming up next? And and he's <laughs> like, "Well, you be serious." And uh, and Body Piper's on commentary, and he just shoots fucking best every right fucking right through Bobby. He's like, "How dare you say that about that wedding? How dare you?" <laughs> Always good at that stare. What he, he never quite knew if he was serious or drunk or what. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Relax does like. Tatanga takes control after doing the whole mirror spot, but then Lex does a back elbow. Even though it's padded, it's still going to be quite hard because he's got a fucking plate in yeah. his elbow. So then Lex takes over some wrestled. Uh, then Tatanka hulks up, basically, or Tatanka's up, whatever you yeah, want to call he d- it. he does that little 
that little native, mm-hmm. a Native American jug around the ring thing. Even though I, wouldn't, I didn't have desire to see Tank as WF champion, but you think Vince is up looking for an ex Hogan? He's he's American, you know, Native American, and he does a Hulk up where he knows sales, you know. He just changed the lyrics to I am a real American to I am a Native American. I am a real American. American. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, there was a missed opportunity in the other round, but you'd still to go with the other guy, and this match is the all American good guy. Hmm. Tanaka then talks up. They they keep emphasizing the whole uh, fifty minute time limit. Then they announce there's four minutes left. It's weirdly when the when that four minutes comes that the actual they start picking things up pace wise. You know, there's a sunset flip at one point. Yeah. Tanaka does a chop off the middle rope, but close to count. Lex, when the when they've got like a minute or so, like keeps saying too long. He cover him because he's knackered. <laughs> the only thing is, like we at home know there's not a lot of time left. They keep come to us, keep saying, "Oh, there's not time left." Whatever. And if you're sitting behind the computer thing, you know how much time was left. But like there was no there was never any count or any clock or anything there the commentator the they're gonna have the ring announcer think they know, oh, X amount of many minutes left in the time limit Yeah. So the live crowd just then are left there watching it and you're thinking everything's normal and then as soon as the bell rings the crowd are like, Wait, what oh it's over? What do you mean it's a draw? <laughs> so a fifteen minute draw means Bam Bam gets a bye, both guys look annoyed, and then Luger which looks like he's doing something weirdly faithish, saying, oh, no, I don't want that. We need five more minutes. He tried to get the tank of joy, and he's rallying up the crowd. But it's a ruse, because then he grabs, he gets his ill, he's, you know, plated ill, and just knocks the tank of the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> Psych. Psych, bitch. <laughs> like, uh, any thoughts on you know, Tatanka and Lex? You know, I don't remember much about their match from 84. I don't remember it being the, the best, technically, it, but this it, one... It was not the best technical match, and I I was always a little like, I was always a little annoyed by the whole back and forth by Lex and Tatanka purely because they turned Lex face. Uh-huh. You know, I I was much like you. I didn't really give a flying fuck about <laughs> Tatanka being heel or face. Yeah, you know, I I thought at best he was an IC champ, mm-hmm. or even if we could have found another ethnicity, we could have ripped off. <laughs> he could have been a tag champ. I know. You know? But I think the worst thing we ever did to Lex Luger in his whole run was turn him face. Mm. Yeah. Luger, and I'm sure he's a nice guy now, you know, he's also had these medical issues, he's found Jesus as well. Has he? I think so. Oh, for fuck's sake. I know. But anyway, I'm sure he's a lovely guy now and he has a lot of regrets about his past and everything. Uh well, some stuff about him and Miss Elizabeth I don't want to get into. So, you found Jesus, did you? <laughs> Are you still a shriveled old husk of what you used to be? But, like, I'm sure he's, obviously he's a better man now, but, honestly, as a wrestler, eh, you're not likeable. Like, that's what I'm trying to say. You're he, not You're not likeable. He's halfway asshole he used to be. You're, quite literally. You're... You're all fle- your whole thing is flexing and everything. Like, they're, that's not a good guy. You didn't... Pat, I didn't buy it as you as an all-American good guy. Like, I remember I watched the the reboot episode of Nitro for a different podcast, right? Yeah. And there's a bit in it where you know they're trying to, the heels are sticking it to the you know the established guys, the millionaire club for their faces. Yeah. And one of the things they do to Lex is they stop his music and don't give him his spotlight when he's trying to pose and everything. Like, and I mean, you may feel sad. Oh no, poor Lex can't pose. They've taken away his spotlight. Like, posing in the spotlight and showing off your muscles. That's not a good guy thing to do. Why do I care about your muscles or your spotlight? Fuck off, Lex. 
you are not likable. You are not likable as a wrestling character. Uh, was, am, I, am I missing something here? He was a great heel, though. He was a, a great, great heel. cocky prick. Which is why they never should have even attempted to have him as a face. No, they should have kept him as a heel. And like, no, they should have done also. Mm-hmm. If he'd have been cool with it. Mm-hmm. You know, you did say he liked his dosh. They should have kept Bobby Heenan mm-hmm. as his manager. Not just the guy that showed him off. Aye. But they should have made Heenan his manager. I know, and fucking talk for him and all, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how he would have done as a heel champ if he'd have been kept a narcissist with he and his manager? Like, him v Lex, him v Brett, like, I am still so annoyed that after me and Ted, they didn't revert him back to a heel, jealous of you know, Brett taking the spot he probably thought he should have got one because they were both Rumble winners. Yes. I know, he can be like the King of the Ring feud before Owen at SummerSlam. Like, that would have been a great thing because, like, even like even as a faithy faithly, they never even gave him another shot. No, they never the belt. did. He like every many a time was very much the end of his time has been taken seriously. We know fine well the the minute his career push in the WWF started to go downhill mm-hmm. was the minute he slammed Yokozuna. Uh huh. I mean, at that point, he could have been saved if he won the belt. Maybe at Mania Ten, they try and keep stuck with him. But as soon as he lost at Mania Ten. Yeah. He was done. He was just done for. It wasn't going to happen for him. No. And that, that always, always bothers me. I know. No, you know the one other thing that bothers me too, since we're talking about Lex, excuse me again, we're talking about Lex. Mm-hmm. Do you know the thing that really bugs me? Mm. You know how on the wrestling game, uh-huh. I can't remember which one it is now, but you know how you can get Lex, you can download Lex? Yeah. Can't download the narcissist. Hmm. You can download stupid licks. You know, with stupid entrance music and just generic fuck nugget licks. You can't download the narcissist. Huh. I'd love to be able to download the narcissist <laughs> because if I could, you'd be champion. But maybe, but you know, on from Lex to Mean Gene interviewing uh, Brett and and Perfect, you didn't often get. This, you know, in the company, uh, you know, the two opponents getting interviewed together before a match. But, uh, but me and Gene, like a wee, the wee rat that he is, <laughs> stirring the shit between the two. And then when they, once they get annoyed about it and start shouting each other, he's he has the goal to tell them to calm down. Yeah, well, that's but, what me and Gene did. So he's saying it like, Brad, did you say that you prefer a wrestling? Why, do you, do you think he's an easier opponent than Mr. Hughes? And, and Beverly, like, right, why did you say, like, oh, no, that's not what I said. And like, and then he's like, say like, oh, you're both second generation wrestlers. Did your fathers ever have a match? And but like, yeah, my dad beat your dad. Your dad never beat my dad. Like, turn into school and my dad will battle your dad. <laughs> the only person in wrestling that really has a claim to say my dad could battle your dad is the girls of destiny who are Haku's kids. Mm. Like, they can say my dad will fucking murder your dad. <laughs> my dad could kick your dad's face in without even trying. Also, I looked up, uh, or I, I saw a video who also looked up the uh, but by the way, uh, no truth to it. Larry the Axe Henning and Stu Hart never had a match. Yeah. So that, that's not even a thing. They're both just did, trying to get into their skin. Did you have to look that up to check it out? No, I, I, I saw it somewhere else and trusted the source that I was given. Ah. Were they ever even in the same organisation? Uh, Larry came to Stampede for a while, like, like a week or so, but they didn't, he didn't wrestle Stu while he was there. No. Nah. I don't even know Stu. It would depend on the timeline, but I don't know when Stu officially stepped out of the ring, so well, I I'd have to double-check if Stu was still an active wrestler at I the time. I know Stu did wrestle a match or two with Brett, 
mm. and Stampede. Uh-huh. Well, Brett, what's well, do was well, the trip it did help train a lot of the guys. What of his sons who came wrestlers and all the people who would come to Stampede, he trained a lot of them. So he was a prolific trainer. Yeah. But I don't know when he would he fully transitioned from full time wrestler to just being you know trainer and well, owner of Stampede. I must say, though, like see seeing pictures of Stu from when he was young uh-huh. and seeing him, you know, when he was older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you often think, how did that mm-hmm. become that? <laughs> I don't know. You know, because I always, always felt bad for Stu <laughs> when you see, especially when you see him in that Brett documentary, <laughs> because his back just looked so sore. <laughs> and they spent quite a lot of time talking about how he just basically make guys scream in pain in the dungeon, like hey, <laughs> I love that. Hey, taking down the dents and uh, stretching, stretching. <laughs> and that young guy like I want to learn from you, sir. And me, I suppose I could teach you a few things. <laughs> Anyway, so then they go, uh, yeah, Mr. Wright off the hands here, and he goes again, ah, he pulls away, ah, gotcha, just like I'm going to get you out in the ring. <laughs> and, you know, I, I would definitely say I'm going to go, uh, go on to make sure Tay mentioned that Brett's got all these fingers taped and how that'll play a factor yeah. in the match. Uh, I will say this outright, I don't only think this is probably the match of the night. I oh, think yeah. I think this is better than SummerSlam 91. That's a, do you know, I'd agree with you on that one. There's, there's so much. Both of them put on a masterclass. Let's, let's not beat around it, you know? Yeah, of course. Both of them. This is one of the very rare matches from that time period where you genuinely are on the edge of your seat. Like, even if you already like if you already had known the outcome, uh-huh. you'd still be sitting there going, who's winning this fucking thing? I think it's also the way perfect moves because I'm not discounting the the ninety one match. I think when you watch back some of the ninety one in terms of a proper like technical wrestling match, the closest thing you're gonna get to that is in that match at SummerSlam. Yeah. But I think Perfect moves a lot better here because, you know, knowing what you know about his back injury when you watch the SummerSlam ninety one match, some of the spots kinda of like a bit mm. yeah. uh, so seeing him move here as well as he does against Britain, and even though they're both faces at the time Perfect quickly plays the de facto heel role to help further get the crowd behind Britain. Even your Bobby Heenan at one point, you know, oh, when he, when he does do heel, he's saying, like, oh, he's relying on what I taught him, you know, maybe a perfect wins here, maybe I'll consider being his manager again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also like about every match that Britain has, I mean, not, not nothing against the match that does become the main event because it is like a good choice given what how they structured the, the tournament. Yeah. But any, any of Brett's matches, three matches, could have easily been the final. Oh, yeah, this yeah, one. definitely. His perfect, I think, at the time was probably if it wasn't going to be Brett, the best second choice probably is perfect. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. Because you look, you look for someone who's like at the time a pure wrestling product. Do you know what I mean? A pure like everything is right with this guy. Mm-hmm. You're only getting that from perfect on Brett. Yeah, at that period, you know. Yeah. It's a very also technical way to start. You know, back and forth. Brett quickly brings. Perfect down to the mat with the headlock. Yeah. See, he keeps like imagining he get him out, get out of it, but then Brett quickly brings it back to the again, showing that Brett's a bit, a bit, a bit quicker and a bit more better technically. See, that's a good use of a headlock. But then it's sitting there for five, ten minutes, <laughs> Bulldog and Sean. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know, that's a reference to our recent uh, Beware of Dog review. We, we didn't like it. That match with Brett v. Sean v. Uh, Bulldog. 
So fucking boring. We didn't like it. Mm-mm, not at all. Made, it made us sad. Right. But this match did not make me sad. No. Because Perry uh, does get the odd uh, cheap shot in here. Like, it was a bit where he looks like he's going to hold the ropes on for a bit, get back around, and then he just kicks him. Yeah. I I guess that. That's yeah. when uh, people start to kind of turn against. I didn't. I, I sniggered a little. Ha ha, Brett. You get kicked. There are one or two spots that actually are also used in some of the one match. If you've watched both, you'll notice it. But, yeah. Like, uh, Perfect hitting Bert off the apron and knock him into the barricade, or the spot where he where Perfect slides and hits his balls into the the <laughs> ring post. That's a repeat of that spot. I think also that kick one is also similar, except in the night one match, it was Bert being distracted by the coach at the time, and then Perfect just came up behind him, and kicked the rope. Yeah. So it was kind of similar in a way. Yeah. There's a point where Perfect has the sleeper hold and he's got his foot on the rope to kind of give him some extra leverage and mm. making sure he's positioned himself in a way that the referee doesn't see it, which was very smart. Also, a spot you didn't see of a lot. You could, you've seen that in later years, but not a lot at this point, but I think it's Brett that goes for the suplex, or Perfect. I can't remember which one, but one of them goes for the suplex to the other to the outside, but they keep a hold of it, so both of them go tumbling to the outside. Yeah, yeah. Which is especially given... It's particularly interesting that Perfect agreed to do that spot, given that how that could have further damaged these previously injured back. Yeah, it could have... It could have opened up old wounds as it were. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the apron, you know, they don't tell you this that much in wrestling, but the apron, apparently, is the hardest part of the ring. Yeah. Mm. Do you know, knowing that now, mm. as a older wrestling fan, <laughs> I always wince in pain whenever there's a power or <laughs> any kind of severe move done on the apron. Uh-huh. Because knowing what I know of wrestling now, I wouldn't want to be power bombed on the apron. Because, like, I've like heard of that sort of so thing. It comes to Joe Goldie, you know, they keep reminding you that's the hardest part of the ring. But I had to go to a red. I've been in a wrestling ring. Yeah. I didn't wrestle, but I was there because a friend was making a film about wrestling. Did, I was there. Did you have childlike glee? You're like, I'm in a wrestling ring. But, like, it was a. I had to be a, a crowd member at a wrestling match because my pal was doing a film about wrestling, so I was playing an extra, basically. Yeah. And then the and in between takes some people were getting in the ring and I put my I leaned against the the apron and I could, you could probably feel the metal but under it so you feel like Jesus this would be a bastard if you if you hit on and, it and I managed to get myself the ring I think I did pretty well because I put my knee up on the ring and grabbed the metal rope and just put all my weight behind it pulled myself up and got in the ring and one or two people were impressed about how I was able to get in the ring so <laughs> I was, I was, my biggest concern was trying not to hit my balls off the metal rope as I went through because I could because I couldn't pull the rope down to properly get through yeah. There you go. And then at one point, somebody tried to. Oh, I got slammed onto a mat. I didn't get slammed onto the actual ring yeah, mat. Yeah. Tried to take a mat. I got slammed onto a mat because you know they knew I wasn't trained. But like, because imagine if I took a slam onto the actual ring mat, I would feel like my chest would probably keep going. Because that's what I heard a lot of people say their first bump was like. So you, you never done a hurricane runner or nothing then? No, I did not. No, maybe next time. Maybe next time. Next time. Anyway, back to perfect and perfect. Yeah. Do a Billy Kidman shooting star press. Uh, Bret Hart locks in the figure four, which I think is interesting given that a few months earlier it was, it was Perry that sent Ric Flair packing and he Whip paid the to, figure four. Uh, to get him out of the WF. Yeah. And, you know, and again, uh, he even given credit to Perry. You know, Perfect saying that at points Perfect remembers the uh, the SummerSlam 91 match. He's not going to, well, why repeat that? He wants to get back at Brett. But then you got match one in, in, in uh, GRC. You know, probably the best thing he ever did was getting rid of you. Imagine you probably. It's probably your fault that you lost it at SummerSlam 91. <laughs> and uh, also a point, Brett goes for a sharpshooter, but he doesn't get a sharpshooter because 
perfect grabs his taped up fingers. Yeah. I really like that. That was the kind of thing you'd see back from like a Pete Dunne or William Regal kind of bending the fingers. Yeah. But you don't get, you don't get to see that. And interestingly here. also, like, for the time period, WWF, mm-hmm. keeping that part of the story from like Brett's first match against mm-hmm. Razor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting to see them at this time period, early Monday Night Raw period, you know, going into the first televised pay-per-view mm-hmm. and they're actually following up with an injury uh-huh. as opposed to like what they'd maybe done the previous year where someone would be injured and then oh look they're fine again yeah you know uh, perfect gets a small package but Brett manages to get the momentum and roll through where he's on top one two three Brett wins 18 minutes 56 seconds this went oh, a 30 minute match uh, 30 minute time limit and again like I said Fucking solid. Match. Yeah, not not one bit of not one second of that match wasted. Mm-mm. I, I I totally agree. Even like Kellogg, some people described them as festivals. They were not just done to like slow down. They didn't slow down the match at any point. No, like like you said earlier at the start, there done the proper way to the right effect. You know. Before we get into our our WF championship match, I should mention a commentation that Brett mentions in his book where uh, before it was after the WF title match, he confronts Hogan. Because he turned eventually that basically he turned that Brett Hogan did why put him over because Hogan was going to lose it. So I think they did promotional photos and everything. Brett didn't he didn't want to, and uh, Brett apparently confronted Hogan, claims that he's apparently I'm not in your league. Well, you're right, you're not in my league. Mm. And from everybody in the locker room, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> and, and, and Hogan's like, you know, like what Joey apparently saying, you know, you don't know the full story. He goes, why don't you tell? Me? He goes, well, I can't. Why? Because you just told me to go fuck myself. And I went. Oh yeah, and I'll tell you again, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yes. Hogan probably was like, nobody talked to Hogan like that. Go, go Brett. I know. Yeah. <laughs> because the next thing we see is a giant close-up of Hulk Hogan's face on the back of a jacket that Jimmy Hart's wearing. And uh, basically I just put, Jimmy Hart and Hogan shout about, America! No, cats. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pr- isn't that pretty much every Hulk Hogan promo from the end of time? And somebody pointed out, I think it was those W's, that you hear a couple of lines that Jimmy Hart says are lyrics that would be used in, in Hogan's first WCW team, American Made. He's got the red wine, blue run through his veins. He's born and raised in the USA. When I tried to do a Jimmy Hart impression, I quickly go into doing a Mickey Mouse impression because they're so, they're both so high pitched. Some, somewhere between Mickey Mouse and Jimmy the Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> oh, he's, Rock Hogan's going to do it, daddy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it or Jamie Hartson's and this one but he points his hand this is where the power of the Hulk starts all the little Hulk amounts prayers, vitamins all that crap <laughs> and Hogan uh, prayers, you, vitamins the Hulkamaniacs the pythons and the you didn't see how, 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 what inches these pythons are because these pythons are noticeably a bit smaller than they were a few years ago Hulk yeah. wonder what the reason for that is hmm. did, did you forget your your vitamins. vitamins. Yeah, people don't realise what take your vitamins really meant over the years. Did you have to stop taking your vitamins after that steroid scandal? Did you see your prayers that you would not get found out about taking your vitamins? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Did you see your prayers that you wouldn't be prosecuted? <laughs> There's a grown man, by the way, dressed as Hogan right in the heart cam, who he's most enthusiastic at as Hogan's coming out and doing well, the match. That's the Hogan guy. Right. And then... You see him a couple matches later after Hogan's lost, he's all, mm. yeah. just, hello, darkness, my old friend. 
but no, he's he's one of the league. We should do a podcast on those guys one time. What these weird weirdos that like, he's actually did a documentary about Vlad the super fan. What one was it? Was he the guy with the glasses? I think so. I. It was. He always looked kind of tanned. Mm-hmm. I love it. What about the guy that looked like like the long haired guy with the shades you always seen? Uh-huh. No, the guy with long hair, goatee, he's often at ECW shows as well, that guy. Yeah, but I remember that guy. I remember Vlad. Was super, uh, that's the first time I've known his name. Mm-hmm. But I remember him. I remember the long haired guy. I remember the Hogan guy. Mm-hmm. I remember Vlad the super fan because see when Sid beat mm-hmm. Sean mm-hmm. at Survivor Series 96, he was very enthusiastic about that. He, he hugged Sid and then went and gave him the. Who's the man? <laughs> uh, and fucking JR at one point c- tried to cry uh, uh, Hogan has been like the greatest hero in the history of the world or whatever. Like, come on, JR, even you can't believe that. But, Paul, please, would you like to take part of my new different quiz show, my new quiz show that would definitely take off? It's called What Did Hogan Do After Winning the Belt? Oh, oh, do tell, do tell. I'm going to ask you a question. Oh, it's Paul, a quiz. Paul, let me ask you, how many... Which one? How many times did Hulk Hogan defend the WAF Championship across TV and live events between WrestleMania and King of the Ring? I, I have two possibilities. Well, you're right. I'm only going to have to take one. Zero. Ding, ding, ding. First, there's the points to Paul. My other option is going to be one. No point. Why? I'll tell you a moment. Okay. Question two. How many times did Hulk Hogan wrestle on Monday Night Raw? Between WrestleMania and King of the Ring, none. Two more points for Paul. Hey, I roll. And now the final point for a grand prize of five points and my total respect. True or, or false? No money. No, no money. <laughs> True or false? Hulk Hogan only appeared between Mania and and King of the Ring on Raw in pre-tapes and never in the in the building. True. Ding, 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 ding. Paul wins the grand prize of five points in my Oh, yes. I'm going to roll a cigarette in celebration. So he politicked his way to a title that he never defended or appeared with on the show. Yes. He appeared in pre-tapes, talking about the match. One was even him on the set of that bloody Thunder in Paradise show. Good Christ. I know. (laughs) And he competed on live events in tag team matches, winning by DQ alongside Bruce B. Cake against Money, Inc., but never defending the WWF Championship. So he, appe- he appeared at live events Def- as WWF Champion. Challenging for the tag team titles and winning by DQ. Alongside Beefcake against Money Inc. So basically, I would assume that he was just running out contractual obligation. Pretty much. He would do yet another tour where he'd uh, wrestle more, a couple more matches against Money Inc. And then wrestle a few matches a week against uh, Yoko. I believe his last official match of his this run is on the 16th of August, a uh, live event against Sheffield, a uh, live event in Sheffield, England, where he would defeat Yoko again by DQ. I was about to say, like, after he, after he has this match at King of the Ring. He has a few matches and live events, then sits at his contract until, while well, he's away filming stuff, I think Mr. Nanny was going to come out in a, you know, shortly after this. So was he still technically under the WWF banner when he filmed Mr. Nani, or was he in between jobs at this point? Kind of in between. I think he was around, but he just wasn't on TV. He was you know, trying to make it in Hollywood and everything. Yeah. By 94, he's not under contract, which is when WCW kind of come a-calling. Yeah. I but, wonder if they hadn't come a-calling. I wonder if he'd have just tried to, you know, keep doing... 
Also, movies. Also, me and Naeem Hogan did an interview before the Bret Hart match saying that, oh, you know, Bret's going to keep the WO title in the USA or he doesn't want, we don't want to get him taken to Japan. Yeah. Guess where Hulk Hogan did wrestle between WrestleMania and King of the Ring? Japan, perhaps? Yes, he wrestled a WO champion versus IWGP champion match, defeating the Great Muta. The Great Muta. And before the match, would say claim that the IWGP belt was the most important championship in all of wrestling, which, you know, some people argue it's more important than WWE titles, especially nowadays. But after the match, he did a press conference, which he did, he claimed, he tried to claim that, oh, oh my, these were mistranslated, even though he said them in English, uh, but then tried to, basically the main reason was he didn't think anyone out of Japan would hear these comments. But he said after the match, he compared, I said, I've won this belt five times. This is nothing more than a toy. It's like a trinket on a Christmas tree. The main belt I want is the one that Great Moot has. I want the IWGP belt. So, in his final contractual times with the WWF, I, I suddenly find even more reason to think Hulk is a dickhead. And further, hey. and further, and you're further happier that Brett told him to go fuck himself. Yeah, quite, fucking frankly, am. Well done, Brett. Quite frankly, I want to tell Hulk Hogan to go fuck himself. Do you know... I I am amazingly and slowly being turned around on Brett. Yeah, he had a fucking attitude. They all had fucking attitudes. He was a bit of a prima donna, but you know what? Fuck Hogan. I know. You go, you fucking... If it wasn't for Vince fucking slobbering all over your balding head in the 80s and the early 90s, you wouldn't have been nothing. You, you needed Vince as much as he needed you. You... You won the title and... At WrestleMania 9, the most fucking sketchy fashion of man imaginable. Mm-hmm. When you do nothing with it until King of the Ring, apart from going to Japan, disrespecting the title, and and by and by association the company you, you're under contract with. Oh yeah, WBF were not happy when they heard about this. Yeah. And then you come back... And you're acting like a fuck nugget and denying a guy who you should be putting over because, let's face it, Brett at that point, between 94 and 96, Brett was solid. Actually, not only was he meant to lose to Brett, he was meant to lose to the sharpshooter. He was meant to, you know, submit to Brett, which Hulk Hogan don't submit to no one, brother. Yeah. Well, fuck him, man. I know. Fuck him. I mean, Brett's a little bit of a prissy bitch, but at least he was a fucking professional. Yeah. He... And there, there's the odd wee thing in here where I think the commentators know that that Hogan that Hogan's eyes will be out, so they do try and throw a wee needle. And there's one particular line I'm going to wait to after the match because that's when it happens. Well done, Hogan. Mm. You fucking dickhead! You've made me like Bret Hart even more. <laughs> there we go. Fuck you, Hogan, man. Fucking this match is dickhead. I think you can get a call out this match was going to go. I mean, before they shut on Hogan, but you know, lock up, you know, shove. The big monster's in control, but Hogan eventually makes his comeback. Okay, eventually he goes, you, and shakes his old man head. What's important, though, is, you know, they do put Yoko over. You know, the match finishes, like, you know, not cleanly. They do put over Yoko in a way that they say, Hogan, you know, the guy who the big deal of slammed Andre can't slam Yoko's in, and that's an important thing here. Yeah. Because they don't have that happen. Although there are rumours that the the Luger spot, if they, if they manage to keep Hogan, there are rumours <coughs> that, that the Hogan... Hogan would come out of the helicopter on the USS and Dribb and slam Yoko if he'd stayed around. Mm-hmm. Which actually, when you watch back the club of Luger arriving in the helicopter, there are fans there chatting Hogan because they assume... That it's going to be Hogan. That it's going to be Hogan. They still cheer when it's Lex. You, 
and this tier when it gets slammed and everything, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought it was going to be because it seemed like a very Hogan entrance to make. You know, he's... You know, I I loved Hogan. Right? I, I know we're still on this. I'm still on this point, but I loved Hogan when I was a little child. Mm-hmm. You know, he is... He is made to appeal to children, like John Cena's made to appeal to children when he was at his peak, you know? Like, family-friendly, you know, great guy, all this shit, or made to be seen Mm -hmm. like a great guy. But the more I've heard about Hulk Hogan, in retrospect, Mm -hmm. I I have lost so much respect for the man as a not as a wrestler, because as a professional wrestler, it was exciting, blah, blah, blah. But the stories I've heard about him in the sense that he's so unprofessional, so hellishly unprofessional, you know, and it's as if he's proud about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I'm the man, I made wrestling, less than that. No, many people other than you made wrestling, man, uh-huh. you know? So... No, that that is the 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 main point I think I'm taking from this review is fuck you, fuck you, Hogan. But it's very much a stereotypical Hogan via monster match. Uh, well, Hogan does t- takes the leg drop from Hogan, but immediately gets up after the after the two count. Does his big Hulk Hogan up and does his whole breathing like he's trying to blow and hot up the <sighs> and he's yeah. <laughs> then he hits the boot, couple of boots, takes in uh, and hits the leg drop. Yoko kicks out by basically launching Hogan up on his feet. Yeah. Ooh. And then knocks Fuji off the apron. Dodgy cameraman played by Harvey Oldman. A big fuck off. Clearly fake beer. <laughs> Even yeah. though it's never revealed later on TV that it is Harvey Oldman. It just came out years later. But he does a big firewall exploding cameras because he's got all these international photographers. Yeah, yeah. Yoko, it's a kind of a throat punch thing. Leg drop and everything. Like They made a big deal of Yoko kicking out the leg drop as well. But one, two, three, that, that, that Hogan guy looks deflated. Everybody's like, what, what? No. And then Hogan gets hit with the bonsai. Should have just had him get stretched out, but no. You had to have Hogan walk out going, oh, my eyes, my eyes. Mm. And everything. But well, you know, know, Hogan had to make a big deal of it. You know? But then Bobby Heenan puts this line in. The bright lights of the WRF were a bit too bright for Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Basically, nice. fuck you. Hogan. Fuck you, man. Yeah. After that... Well, right? we- you're getting on a bit, Hogan. You can't get your way anywhere. Bye. Uh, we, then we get basically why it's great as Moody Mr. Perfect to put over a bit of heart, baby, because I don't want to talk about it anymore. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. And then we have an interview with new Intercontinental Champion, Hulk, Hulk, I think said Hulk Hogan, Heart, <laughs> Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And the pay per view debut, or TV debut of any kind, of Diesel. Yep. Because a week earlier at a Holden in New York house show, Diesel made his debut to help. Sean win back the Intercontinental Championship from Marty Jannetty. Do they have a rematch on pay-per-view? No. Sean's here to fight Crush. Yeah. <laughs> Just fuck you, Marty, apparently. Fuck you, Marty. Uh, Sean introduces, calls uh, Hogan a dinosaur. He says, he goes, who is this big man? This is my insurance policy. This is Diesel. As in Diesel Fuel. As in that which makes a Mack truck go. <laughs> did you just make that up on the spot, Sean? It sounds like you did. I just like the way he did it. It's like, Diesel. As in Diesel fuel, as in Wait. what makes a Mack truck go. I feel like I made Sean sound a bit so, but uh, William Shatner, like, this is diesel. This isn't diesel fuel. As in what makes a Mack truck go. <laughs> Mr. Sue, Dick won't run. 
Anyway, uh, then we have a big eight-man tag, basically a filler here. Smoking guns and the Steiners taking on Money Inc. and the Head Drinkers. Here, interesting here. This will be the last pay-per-view appearance of Money Inc. as a tag team. Very true. And the hype shows over a course of six-day period. This is the second win for Money Inc. over a six-day period. Losing the Steiners, win them back from the Steiners, and then losing the Steiners again. Yeah. And then like a week before SummerSlam, it'll be their last proper match as a team. They have a show, a special on the USA now called the SummerSlam Spectacular. Where they lose to another match this time, this time in a cage before they both go into singles matches. DBS buggers off. Well, wrestling wise, he's now a manager, class commentator, and the Steiners end up fighting the heavenly bodies. Well, he uh, he left because he had back issues, did he not? Yeah. I think he did. He popped over to Japan for a bit, but then officially as a ring wing guy. Done. Yeah, but I think, I think he had niggling back issues that he'd been suffering from for a, a while anyway. Uh, Scott Steiner starts off with Teddy Biasi a nice week exchange but Scott Steiner gets the better the other bit where he sends Biasi outside Rick throws him back in only for Scott to clothesline him out again yeah. and then Rick throws him back in again <laughs> uh, Bart Gunn goes to slam Fatu's head into the mat but you know hard head Simone's that yeah. old stereotype yeah. gets sure. right back up kicks him in the face yeah. uh, the heels basically beat up Bart Gunn for a while uh, GR puts over you know the tag team like credentials of, uh, of IRS because he said he's a at this point, a four-time tag champ with three different partners. Yep. He would go on to be a five-time uh, champion, mostly when they win them back from the stairs that brief time. I can't remember who else they won out of it. He won it with Barry Windham. I can't remember who his other partner was, because I remember he was a part of the US Express for a while. But I can't remember who else he, he was a tag team like champion with. Yeah. Billy comes in, gets a hot tag, but then gets set and throws first in the ropes. DiBiase has him like in the million-dollar dream, but for some yeah. reason lets him go. But then when he goes to pick Billy back up again, gets the... Uh, the small package. Billy wins it for his team. The big schmoz at the end. Everybody fights. Uh, six minutes fighting that went. No, not a, fin- not a match I'll really remember. All I'll say is not enough Steiners. I would like to see more of the Steiners than the Smoking Guns. <laughs> Which is because the, the, the Steiners are the ones who are going to go into the feud with Money and can win tag belts ultimately from them. Yeah. But the Guns pinned one half of the tag champs and the Guns aren't going to win the titles for another two years. The first tag reign doesn't come to then after the Rumble 95. Yep. So it's weird why Billy was chosen to get the pin. Yeah. You got Mr. Fuji. Uh, maybe, maybe it was a famous fence thing that maybe he thought about pushing them in and went, nah. Yeah. Fuji. Uh, so lastly, Billy had fucking title. The title changes plus the IC title change. Because this is a thing through 93, 94, where basically Vince tries to get house show business up by constantly putting title changes on house shows. <laughs> Doesn't work. But yeah. Fuji, Yoko, and Jack Tony are getting a photo taken together. Jack Tony doesn't seem to want to comment on the fact that there was a weird photographer. He just congratulates Yoko in. And Fuji's gloating in like America is finished. We're not. We're gonna stay in America. We have big party. <laughs> I was so bad for Jack Tony. I don't think he really felt too comfortable in front of the camera. He didn't. He didn't. No. But uh, then we go into Crush versus HBK in a battle, not just for the IC title, but for see who has the best mullet. Battle of the mullets. I think. I think. I think Sean won. Yeah, Sean did win. Uh, Crush, you know. And it, I, oh, oh. Sorry, cut in, but I think we all won because this was round about the period he started to grow the damn mullet out. Hmm. Well, I think they're also teasing uh, Crush's future gimmick change because he said, "Oh, I think Crush could." Matchup keeps claiming he thinks Crush could slam Yoko. Yeah. Then a wee while later, before summertime, Crush would ultimately get you know keep him injured by Yoko. And then come back and be annoyed that Randy apparently didn't visit him enough in the hospital. Come back as Japanese sympathizer crush. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit of that foreshadowing. 
I think he is one of the people that sits up on the USS Intrepid to try and slam him, but he can't get it done. Uh, I, had a, I had a funny joke that, no, I'm not good, that's childish. I was going to say, he can't get him up. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of men have that issue. That is childish. It's funny. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> anyway, Chris, you know, gets the advantage, gets the head a lot, you know, forces Sean to go to the outside, try and take a breather. Uh, he has a couple of drop kicks that send Sean flying. But eventually Diesel just kind of stands in front of him, kind of distracts him, which means Sean can run around the other side mm. and get Chris Ryan. The referee's given out to Diesel all the way. Sean basically grabs Chris and starts slamming his head into the post. Yeah. Uh, so Sean kind of takes control for a wee while, you know, thanks again Diesel paying dividends for him. But then Chris manages to slap him and, you know, gets him a big deal. Yeah. You know, Sean is a coward, he needs Diesel and Chris is very strong, throws him around and everything. Yeah. That was that was when when he was Kona Crush. <laughs> that was pretty much his gimmick. That's you pretty know, much, yeah. He slammed people and then he had his dumbass finisher. Uh huh. You know, but, like, yeah, but he doesn't because, really because he can crush coconuts with his hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't really get a chance to do that finisher because uh, Doink comes down, but then he does the whole thing. He can't see somebody behind him. How many Doinks are there? I then love they, that so much. The, the question: How many Doinks are there? Then they do a wide shot. We can see it's just two. Yeah. And they do the whole manner spot again. I love that. Well, and they blow in cigars and then and smoking his face. And I love it, Bobby Heen, like, I can smell them here. That's, those are pretty good cigars. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, Bobby Heen can clearly likes the finer things, he can tell what a good cigar smells like. Mm. And then Sean super sweet chins him at the back, slotting Christian slams into the into the, the corner, falls back. Sean immediately covers him and gets to end the dice scuttle and. You know, they bravely run away, away, like Sir Robin, as Crush chases after them. Yes. Brave Sir Doink, he ran away. Bravely ran away, away. <laughs> I never. All Ele- lies. 11 minutes 14, you know, you've got much to really say at this match. I mean, it was nice to have Sean on the show, but... Yeah, well... And they're, and they're clearly high on Crush at the time. Well, nice to have Sean on the show. I always thought Doink was funny. <laughs> I like Doink. And I, Especially this version. Yeah, yeah, I must say, I preferred evil Doink. Mm-hmm. I mean... Hold, hold the recording device a minute until I prove it. You see? Ah, you got some. Paul's got some patches of very creepy clowns on his jacket. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, like it says. <laughs> can't I can't read that. Says, I'm not normal. <laughs> no, says, Paul, you're not. I'm smiling. That alone should scare you. <laughs> right underneath the smiley clown. <laughs> So, do you have really anything you want to say about the Dark the match, or should we go to the the main event of the evening? No, no, I will. I will state my little piece on that. I mean, it was. I hate the fact that Sean winning it was. You know, we didn't really talk about it so much. We just like, oh yeah, Sean's. You know, Sean's the IC champion now. We made a big deal of his his big tall horns. You know, <laughs> and you know, crush. They were always kind of, even at this point, they were always kind of hot and cold with Crush. Because, like, they kind of pushed him, and then they didn't push him. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of pushed him, and then they didn't push him. <laughs> and then they made him Japanese sympathiser, and he was, he's at WrestleMania 10. <laughs> and then, after the all of that, he'll bring him back with a cool faction, uh-huh. the DOA, and he doesn't do a lot. No. Then he goes to WCW. Then he comes back and he's chronic. Then he gets Saxon. Yeah. 
So yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think uh, chains <laughs> did more than him. Yeah, being fake Undertaker. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really know what chains done out with that. Mm. But the fact that the DOA faction splintered into just two bald guys managed by Paul Ellering. Ah, uh, yes, the Harris brothers, you know, pricks. Yeah. Pricks because, I mean, in real life, they're both, uh, I believe they're both real life Nazis, the, the Harris brothers. Are they indeed? Mm-hmm. Oh. Got fucking SS tattoos and everything. Dang. Well, I, I always wanted that fucking shirt that Paul Ellering wore as well. What? As well. What? Mr. Dot Com shirt. <laughs> I always wanted that shirt and I never could. F- I went on eBay to look for that bloody thing and I also looked for bloody Midian's shirt with the eye. Mm-hmm. could fucking find that either. If I could find that Midian shirt, I would be wearing that Midian shirt. Damn it. Well, I think given that we, 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 we delve so far, that far into shirts and Midian and chains and everything shows that how much of an impact this match had. But, you know, I, I'll say this one last piece before we move on. Sean didn't have the best finishes for his IC title reign at this point because no, I, didn't. I think because he was maybe such a curly heel because, like, he's, he has a title defence against Marty at Rumble and Shenanigans, which is mainly every match that never comes. Loses, but kind of gets counted out against Tanka because Tanka has to stay undefeated. Yeah. Uh, this match, this kind of screen finish here, this is the cleanest one he's going to get. SummerSlam, he gets DQ'd against Perfect. And then before Survivor Series, he's been suspended. And, yeah. Well, he's technically IC champ because he's going around claiming he's the real champ, but Razor's the real champ. Yeah. He's portrayed a lot at this time period, if you think about it. His character is a lot like The Miz. I, I, would, I would say that, yeah. A lot like The Miz's sort of cowardly, sort of like... Ha ha, hit you and run away. <laughs> you know? Briefly, run away. Away. <laughs> away, away. <laughs> but then we go into our main event with Bam Bam quickly. There's a quick interview saying, I'm fresh as a daisy and I'm going to go win the King of the Ring. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what he says. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Bam Bam using his strength advantage. You know, Brett's trying to quit, like, out me, like, use his speed to his advantage, but Bam Bam quickly catches him, like, nope, fuck it. And because Brett is weakened, you know, he sells it a lot more when Bam Bam, you know, uh, at one point, he just deadlifts him and just fucking throw them out. So <laughs> yeah. didn't, didn't quite do the Spike Dudley, you know, crowd surfing thing, because I don't think a 93 crowd would do it. They were like, oh, fuck, get out of the way. Oh, like, oh fuck, we'll look at you. Again, not to go back to what I think, but like when they throw that cow at them, Dum, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> 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 They give Bam Bam's on offensive while Paul composes himself. They go to the outside, they're both throwing each other into the barricade, but uh, Bam Bam then slams Brett on the concrete in the rampway. He goes back into the, the ring, he's arguing with the ref who's moaning him up for some reason. Luna Vachon sneaks down, and yeah. it's a very light chair shot to the back of Brett, run and scurries away. And yeah. then, then Bam Bam, instead of getting the counter, just brings it back in, hits the diving head button, and it looks like, oh fuck, Bam Bam's one king of the ring. King Bam Bam. <laughs> King Bam. <laughs> I'm struggling not to call him Bammer because that's what OSW calls him sometimes. Bam Bammer. <laughs> but then Earl Hebner comes down as the second referee and basically talks about no, no, like, chairs, like tells him that Luna got involved in everything. L- Luna tapped him with a chair. And uh, and so, you know, so, so that, they, that they can continue the match. So, I think Howard Finkel genuinely, like, I don't think this was meant to happen. He didn't get a run because I think he misconstrued what reverse the decision means because reversing the decision means that Brett would have won yeah. maybe by DQ or whatever. 
But then he's like, no, I mean, the match must continue. And Fink uh, even goes, I stand corrected. The yeah. match will continue. Yeah, he does that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I've slightly messed up just a teeny bit here. It will. Oh, there's, there's more match. And then Bam Bam goes right back on the offense. Maybe, and then uh, Belhine's not like being here going, like, that's fine, he'll just beat him again. <laughs> and then Brett finally comes back on the offense. Uh, you'll come back at Bam Bam with... He ends up uh, getting a back mention to lift him up when I was trying to get a back suplex on him. Yeah. Sends Bam to the outside, launches himself kind of across the body on the outside. Uh, he does a version of his build-up where he leaps off the middle rope to get the bulldog. So yeah. Brett's finally building some momentum again for the first time in the match. He goes for another back suplex, but Bam Bam just flips over and basically falls on him. <laughs> kind of the same way that he did to, to Razor yeah. on the top of the middle rope earlier on. So they mentioned that his knee is hurt and everything, or he basically just sore all over, mainly the knee is hurt. When because uh, he took that bump from perfect off the apron, yeah. so Bam Bam's kind of working the back. So we still have seen that physically Brett's been ro- broken down over the course of the the night, and this is what I love about tournament wrestling, especially when it's a one night tournament or tournament over like a couple of, over a weekend or whatever, and and the matches are in such close proximity because I think that's where you tell the best, you can tell the best stories. Nah, and, so. and Brett's story through this King of the Ring tournament is a prime example that can be used of that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but then it looks like Bam has a bit of get back in control. He rips Brett into the corner. Brett hits a boot. Then manages to leap up onto his shoulders, get the victory roll, roll through and stack him up. Gets the, Brett gets the three and wins the match in 18 minutes, 40-something seconds. Uh, which It's also noteworthy that Brett tried that same move against Owen, and that's the move that Owen counters to beat him at Mania 10. Yeah. So shows him, well, Owen knows his brother. But Brett Hart wins the fans going mental. I'm interested to see what would have happened if... Uh, Brett and Hogan happened at King of the Ring. And I know it's meant for some of them, but imagine it happened at King of the Ring because who would the fans say for? Because they go mental for Brett, but they also go mental for Hogan. Especially, especially, a, especially Hogan guy. I think you would have had a very split crowd. Mm-hmm. Very split crowd. I mean, if, I mean, you know, for one thing, if Brett won, the only person that would have really, one person right away who wouldn't have been happy would be Hogan guy. Yeah. Right in the front row. Hogan guy would have been distraught. He would have, he would have rendered his garments. <laughs> there was a, a couple of agents on the outside, you can see them. I think there's like four minutes of pay per view left. You see them kind of ushering by, like, come on, we got to do the coronation spot, come on. Yeah. And they're away, and uh, uh, Mean Gene gives them the robe, and the crowd goes, I proclaim ye, King Bret Hart, King of the Ring. <laughs> and then in comes Jerry Lawler, who recently debuted, and basically, what are you doing? You're like, I'm here, to this pretender to my career, I'm the only king in the WWE. You know, but Bret Hart, you can be a prince if you get down and kiss my feet right now. Mm. And Bret's like, why are you? Why who? What claim have you got to be king? You're even brave enough to end yourself in the King of the Ring tournament. Mm. And he goes, "No, the only king you are. You're the Burger King." Yeah. Burger. Like clearly, this is something Vince wanted to get make a thing in Brett because Brett it seems very unbrelly, but he's getting people chatting. They, to be fair, they, they, that becomes a thing for real. People chatting Burger King. People wearing Burger King crowns yeah. and walk and Jerry just having to grab them off and ripping them up. So <laughs> it becomes a thing. So fair enough for people for playing along, but. Still quite stupid. It is stupid, but it's ninety three. And then so, then Jerry Lawler attacks Brett, and it's weird because like he's the babyface in Memphis still at this point because Brett comes in play the heel as part of the I think the relationship with Memphis. But you see moments like this when he comes in. I think this is some of the first times. I don't know if it's the first times he's playing the heel, but it's the most most people type. It's the time most people are seeing him play a heel. All I'm Law would be here for much of his WF career. I don't know if you're correct on that being his debut, though, because he was in the 93 Rumble. Well, he, well, he's recently... He's only recently in the company. Ah. Because 
because he's not because he's not because he's not in a mere nine in any capacity or anything. No, like but it was a it was in the '93 Rumble. It was a active in ring in the '93 Rumble. Yeah, but like it's weird how he's playing. He goes from a face for so many years, then so naturally playing a heel on, yeah. in the WWF. Like he comes up and you know he's make, he's had this long feud with Brett. He attacks him and he says that you know in real uh, Brett was very angry because when he picks up the the sword, probably catches him. Apparently that that threw on the edge of it that caught Brett in the back and did some damage. Oh! And instead of and this is kind of a bit unfortunate on from Brett's part. Instead, of, I don't know if he confronted Lawler about it, but he uh, he Brett believed in the old school thing of getting a receipt. So that in their match at SummerSlam '83, he keeps us Lawler locked in long after the bell goes as referees try to pull him off. Uh, and uh, apparently this was a kind of a receipt because he properly locked it in. And uh, but when you see. Lawler struggling to move for a little while. That's legit because Brett probably wrenched it in on, on mm. Lawler. Maybe, right. maybe, maybe that's that old school kind of thing that's too teaching. You know, yeah, they get you, Brett. You gotta gotta give him a receipt. Get it stretching. I think I, I think I, I can't I can't stop doing that Stu impression since the last episode. No, no, but I think I think that is like you say, it's just an old school thing. You know, you you hurt a guy, mm-hmm. the guy is going to get you back. Mm-hmm. Now, Brett, if Brett was being truly unprofessional, it would have you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with something, but he just—I think it was just uh It was like it's like when Brock Lesnar gave Braun a wee scud. Oh yeah, you know, and he was like, "Just be careful." Apparently, uh, some of the guys backstage were on Brett's side because uh, they'd worked the Memphis territory that Lawler was involved in and sometimes booked, mm. and uh, they were. Uh, he was, apparently Lawler was known for uh, not not being so generous with the paydays. So uh, some guys who'd been ripped off by in the past, like. I go on, Brett. Fucking lay it into him. Uh, beat him up. I uh, get him. Like apparently, like Memphis was where Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Jarrett kind of worked alongside Waller. Yeah. And uh, there's all these stories that part of the reason Austin never wanted to work with Jarrett is that he remembered, you know, Jeff kind of rubbing it in when when Austin was getting low paydays, but also Jeff is getting a higher payday than because he's the boss's son and everything. Mm. And apparently, he walked by Austin as Austin staring at his very low payday, looking at his check, and uh, apparently Jarrett walked by one day and goes. Hey man, it ain't gonna get any bigger if you stare at it. <laughs> so he's like, I'll fucking remember that, you prick. Aye. Well, that and plus the fact that he, when he came back to the WF in '97, he called his uh, Austin 316 shirt blasphemous. Oh, fuck off. I know. You're talking about Jeff Double J? Double J. J E Double F. <laughs> double J can double fuck off. I know. But, well, that has been King of Rain '93. That sets up the match at uh, SummerSlam that they have. And they may have a thing at Summer Slat at Savarities and legal troubles. They carry it over all the way to King of the Rain ninety five. They had that famous uh, kiss my foot match. Yeah. Like then leads to Isaac Yankum being introduced yeah. to the <laughs> His own personal dentist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're giving this pay per view a double thumbs up. I'm giving this pay per view a double thumbs up. You hear what, Paul? I'm doing that too. Yes. Yeah, I'd... I mean, just on Brett alone, I think. Yeah, I. Just on Brett alone, it had some fucking stellar matches. Mm-hmm. The Sean match was very, like I said to you, is very reminiscent of the kind of character that Miz mm-hmm. plays now, like a, a sort of hit and run heel, you know uh-huh. what I mean? Hit and run, cowardly heel. Mm-hmm. And the finish itself, you know, like it's very rare at the time to see Sean, because I think at that time period, Sean's finisher was still classed as a backdrop. Mm. 
You know, it, it wasn't a kick. Mm-hmm. He did like a like a backdrop uh-huh. kind of thing. I think, it was, I think it was called the teardrop suplex. And yeah, that was it. We talked about Scott Hall. You know how good a mind he is sometimes because he's like he, it was him who famously suggested uh, to sing about the crow and that. Yeah. I think it was him who he's credited as the one who said to Sean, "Hey man, that's super kick you do. That's that's pretty cool. Why the hell is that not your finisher?" Yeah, but also seeing the super kick at that time period and seeing him. Like, do it would have been considered a pretty dangerous spot when he puts Crush right in the back of the head with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Because, like, if you're kicking the guy in the face, mm-hmm. you know, kicking the guy in the face, you, you're you more... You're, I would reckon you'd be more able to be careful in knowing where you're going to place that. Mm-hmm. But if you're kicking the guy in the back of the head, you know, A, you're going to have to be double careful. But... Even if you even connect just a little bit and maybe you're off a little, mm-hmm. there's more potential to hurt a guy. So the fact that A, Crush would take that spot mm-hmm. and B, Sean would be professional enough to mm-hmm. get it, you know? I think I think that match probably is a little underrated. And the fact that, like, you know, you can see Sean's developing character in that. He's, and he's always kind of... He's always up until about, say... Mid ninety four, mm-hmm. I think he was always that kind of guy, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think also like, the way they structure the pay per view is, is great. The way they structure it, so the Brett story can play out, and you got other matches mm. and their time. It's quite a few matches do get the over ten minute, fifteen minute treatment, which is not always the case in, in the nineties. Very, very few people winning winners or losers look weak. And like, and even though it was uh, under screw circumstances. Yoko got as clean a win as you could possibly get over Hogan at that period of time. <laughs> and they made a point that he couldn't slam him and how Yoko basically killed... He claimed that, he claimed that Hogan, Hulkamania is dead and, and Yoko's in a kill. It. So if that's not as strong a push as you can get at the time, it's like, that's an apology for me and I mean, yeah, for Yoko. Yoko's in a basically... for In the stakes of Hoganland, he cleanly kicked his ass, mm-hmm. won the title legit, had Bobby Heenan slagged the piss out of him in a very underhand and clever way. <laughs> and he pretty much killed Hulkamania. And let's not forget, mm-hmm. like, once he won that, he held that belt for pretty much a year. Yeah, very much. I think that was you know making up for what had happened. And uh, with the, I think this, <laughs> this can also be, I think it's a strong argument to say that King of the 93 is out of the five that they did is the best pay-per-view of 93. Oh yeah, yeah, especially given that Mania Nine is there, which is like considered as one other, not the worst Mania of all time. Oh Just come like, on, that that finish at the Undertaker match. Oh yeah, God. But like, because uh, I, because part of me thinks because we've done two now, I'm probably thinking maybe we should do all pay per views of '93 at one point. But I'm hoping to put off Mania Nine as long as possible. <laughs> but uh, what, I, what's, what's, I am going to watch Mania Nine back at some point mm-hmm. soon to try and. Basically, try and find the plus points yeah. to it because there's not a lot of them. <laughs> no, there's for Mania Nine. There's a couple of moments which are kind of funny. I've heard good things about the Hedgehog Vita Steiners. That's a good one. Well, that's a good one. And watching Bobby Heenan come into the ring backwards on a donkey <laughs> wearing a toga. Now that's funny. But so, like, also, it's weird how WF can sometimes when there's a bad WrestleMania, like Mania Fifteen and Sixteen. Uh, some people don't consider the best, but then you had the backlashes after them are widely considered strong pay-per-views. And now, and they did it again here where they did Underwhelming Mania, the next pay-per-view they do, fucking knock it out of the park. Yeah. It's weird how they, they're able to do that sometimes. Oh, I think it's a lot of the time when, 
We slag off Vince quite a lot, right? And say his, <laughs> his business decisions or his booking decisions are a tad on the questionable side at times. But if he produces a WrestleMania or whatnot that is a little under par, he certainly knows how to make it make it up to the fans. Absolutely, I'd agree with that. But you know, Paul, I think uh, as, as I said before, as an introductory episode for some people in Rogue, listen, who are fans of Rogue Pains who may not have heard our stuff together. I think this is a hell of a... I mean, we didn't comment that much as the match itself for Hogan as much as we shot on the guy. Yeah, and rightfully yeah. so. But well, that, that was that, technically your fault, though. Well, I thought it was important information to know. It was important information that Hulk Hogan was a total dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Now you know. Red, white and blue dickhead. <laughs> and uh, if you'd like to hear more of our uh, pay-per-view reviews going forward or our past ones in our back catalogue, what but if all good you want us to just call Hulk Hogan a dickhead? Yeah, I mean we don't need a reason for uh, excuse for that. No, but very easy. We want to thank you for listening on the Rogue Opinions podcast feed as well as our one, wherever one you choose. But both of them are available on all good Android podcast sites, whether that be Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Yep. Make sure to follow Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinions. Then on Twitter and Instagram, follow us at SP Rambling on Twitter at facebook.com forward slash Rambling Podcast. We got stuff about in your house, Fraser. We talk a lot about Impact Wrestling. We're probably that might be our next episode. I'm yeah. trying to work out the schedule. We we For, have we have our random episodes where we talk about things such as confectionery. Yeah, we have, we have some. We've been flowing some new ideas uh, going forward. Uh, if you have an idea, make sure to hit us up on those social media platforms that we mentioned. If you have a suggestion for a From the Vault episode. Anything but an in your house because we've got a separate series for that. Yeah, we have a separate in your house series. But if, if you if you're a fan of that era, <laughs> new gen, golden era, mm-hmm. you know anything, hit us with it. We'll yeah. we'll happily review if we haven't done it already. Yeah, we our prime things in front of all. It has been you know mainly nineties. Maybe we'll do some eighties and I have some ideas. Maybe some two thousand stuff. Yeah, so we, we can do. Yeah, some some ruthless aggression, some early ruthless stuff. Yeah, because I think you've got a couple of takes of that. I do, I do. I mean, we've done Survivor Series 02 in the past. We were pissed for that one. Yeah, we were. We were. <laughs> I don't know why I thought, like, I knew we wanted to do that show. I can't remember why the idea came up to do it pissed. Did, I, did, did you find, did you ever hear the story as to why Shawn Michaels was wearing those ugly ass brown tights? Because they weren't finished. Yeah, he wanted to wear something Jesus-y. Jesus. But we weren't finished, so he had... Do you know what I don't get, though? Hmm. If we weren't finished, why didn't you have a backup pair, you silly Christian diddy? I don't know, but... Paul, uh, we're, we're, you know, wedding off into the podcast sunset. <laughs> uh, I didn't come with that. I can't remember. I know Jimmy says that before. I don't know if he created or if he stole it from someone else, but uh, we're wedding off into the podcast and sunset, and I think, well, we have actually a bit more praise on than we have in the past I think even though we've put praise on him before I think given the performances and how he carried a lot of the show the only per- there's only one person whose theme song we can play us out here and that is the 1993 the first ever King of the Ring <laughs> uh, Brett the Hitman Hart the first ever televised two time slash <laughs> televised uh, King of the Ring Brett Hart who you know and his brother Owen would win it the following year yeah. Ironically, beating the guy that Brett beat in the first round of this, and yeah, which is funny. But well, we're gonna let you play you out with the, you know, the which is, should, I, I think should is, we go with his original version or his later version? Do you think? I think, I think he, gets, he has the original version of this show, but I prefer the later, the more upbeat, the dun 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 dun, more heavier version. I think it's 
More a headbanger. <laughs> more a headbanger. Mm. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll go with you on that. Even though I, I would, personally, if it was me, I would go with tradition mm-hmm. and go for the era he won it in. Uh-huh. But I will, I, will, I will secede to your opinion on that one. Thank you very much. <laughs> very rare you hear Paul secede to my opinions. Well, musically, you have seceded to my opinion on a few occasions. So I think it's only rightly you get a turn. Yeah. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Rogue Opinions for allowing us to be you know, under kind of this banner. Thank you for uh, Rogue Opinions listeners who are mm-hmm. first hearing me. I hope I, I hope I have pleased you. And thank you for to regular Scott and Paul Rambling podcast listeners for sticking with us and putting up for how many t- and see if you can play a drinking game and for how many times we see the words Rogue Opinions. There you go, take another one. Uh, have a drinking game. Drink a bottle every time we say Hulk Hogan's a dick. Oh god, that we did. You've killed our listeners, Paul. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna go away. I can, I can, I can, I can fuck it up in a, in a sense in a quote from Bottom. Hmm. Hulk Hogan is a dick ten times. <laughs> Before we kill any more of our listeners with weird drinking games, we're just gonna <laughs> say goodbye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>